a one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> can you feel the tension in the air right now? I know I can. I can feel it all the way down in my plums. Episode 100. It's the hundo. We made it to the hundo club. What's up, everybody? We are back with the Bass Report. Oh, dude, it seems like just last week we were doing episode 99, and here we are at 100. <laughs> Ryan Cook, Joel's here, and uh, I survived Las Vegas just barely. Vegas, baby. I, le- I left my phone at the airport, or at the uh, at the casino, as I walked out to the airport. Can you believe that? Did you get it back? Luckily, we still had we had friends at the at the hotel that work with Laura, so they picked it up and... Got it back. You would, not, you would not have been a happy camper. I would not have been. That is an ordeal. Camper. Yeah, but anyway, um, barring some um, some craziness, it was a great trip. I'm back. Looks back. like it was fun. You you did all right there. You, as you said, I always get mine back. Yeah, I was able to uh, to make up everything we lost during the weekend in one uh, really long Saturday night, Sunday morning. So one week we need to have a podcast just called casino tips and tricks with jolie yeah yeah it's there i have like i'm a one trick pony but it generally works out well but you guys had a good time the, the birthday girl had a fun time oh yes yes her actual birthday is tomorrow so we're uh we're looking forward to that the boys are very excited um nice yeah it was a good time how about you ryan cook what's going on since just the out, five days that we haven't talked just you know the similar to last week Doing the damn thing, catching a few bass, kicking a little ass. <clears throat> um, had a client catching new PB today. That was cool. Got one almost seven. I feel like every fish we get is almost this. I want one that's just a little over seven, a little over eight. But mm-hmm. um, no, it was cool. <clears throat> I posted a video up on my story. Um, it, it it got him down to some grass, some really, really thick grass, eight-pound test. Shout out to Spearpoint, number two GP finesse hook. I mean, this thing, this thing went down in the grass and peeled drag. I mean, just and I'm like to the point I'm even thinking like, does he got a catfish? Like, what's going on here? And uh, by the time we finally got down to it, got some line back, she was dug in. I mean, you you know, there's no pulling her out. I, I don't even know if you could have pulled her out with 50 pound braid at this point. So when they, like I said, when they don't come out, you got to go in. So I jumped in. Um, got down there, got my hand on the line, went to get straight over the fish. <clears throat> I dove my head down to what felt like I was down there seven, eight, <laughs> nine feet. I felt like, oh, I'm down here. Like she's well in the video, I, I was only a couple feet down, but, um, <laughs> I scared her enough and I got enough tension on the line where she eventually, it all, it all just kind of came out. So it worked out fine. We got the fish. That's all that matters. It was fun. He was excited. He'd never this was like his first day really ever bass fishing. So um, he caught a couple before on accident, a couple one and a half pounders. So he's like, I officially beat my PB by five and a half pounds. So it was cool. Um, <clears throat> the last week's been fun. You know, we just, it, it has been a grind, you know, I'm, I'm uh, nothing's easy right now, but we're, st- we're seeing good ones. Like I say, this is the time of year to get good ones. So, um, that one actually today, believe it or not, came on a drop shot with a spear point. So, but my point was through all of that, when I got that fish back in the boat, that hook was absolutely stuck. There was there, you, you still had to get pliers to get it out. So, shout out to Spear Point. Like I've said before, they make my job a lot easier. So, appreciate them. Gotta love them. 
um, yeah, we're, we're still throwing the same stuff as last week. N- not much has changed in, in that realm. Um, I'm gonna head. Uh, I'm gonna head out tomorrow. I've got some guys meeting me from way down south, and we're gonna get them on some jig fish. We're gonna go throw some finesse jigs and and uh, go see if we can get us a big one tomorrow. I know we're gonna catch some solid ones. I just want to go get a big one. So, fingers crossed for that. It's probably gonna happen. Oh, I, I I hope. I'm trying not to jinx you, but hey, man, if you guys are thinking about going out fishing with somebody, anybody who's going to go uh, dive in the water after your fish for you, probably one you want to put at the top of your list. Just saying. I'll dive in for a two pounder. I don't even care. He don't give a he don't give a she's. Mm-hmm. Don't care. I didn't know how big that fish was. I'm because we hadn't seen it. So I mean, I'm thinking. I knew it was something substantial because of how much drag it pulled. But I, I you know, I'm thinking. You know, he's got a four or five pound bass or he's he's got a catfish something but yeah it was cool if anybody wants to book a trip uh we don't i haven't talked about the schedule much right now we still have which is unusual but i think everybody's feeling the pinch a little bit but we still have um the last two weeks in september i've got like four days available so we still have availability in september and october we've got uh, you know we still got over half of october available and over half of november so um it's a fun time of year, guys. They get schooled up. Things get going hot and heavy quick and fast. So let me know. We'll get you out. We'll have some fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do it to it. You probably noticed uh, last week um, I had to change up uh, some music and some intro deal because after the show, and I usually go about editing things, there was no room left on my computer. So I had to go back everything. I've been meaning to do this. Of course, I waited till the last minute because that's what I do, unfortunately. And... Yeah, so there was some file mismanagement on my part, and so uh, yeah, I had to completely redo it. At, like, what's that saying, Joel? I'm 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 officially going to stop procrastinating starting tomorrow. Starting tomorrow. That's right. Anyway, uh, yeah. So hope you guys like it. Let me know. Um, probably going to change it up. Felt cute. My delete. I like it. Who knows? I'm a fan. <sighs> trying to keep trying to keep it uh, simple as we we like to do, but 100 episodes, man, I can't believe it. Oh gosh, that's awesome! Yep. It does. Oh man, I don't know how many I've been a part of, but well, I mean, I even a from <laughs> doing the second one with you, but that's it, 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 that's just amazing to me because it doesn't feel like a hundred. No, it does not. Uh, and big thanks to the people who got us here, really helped us here. Phoenix rods, spear point hooks, county bait and tackle, stage top gun shop. And then everybody that's everybody that sponsored uh, a giveaway every month for the past almost two years now, going on two years. Um, and then we, I know we didn't start those until maybe a year ago, but um, yeah, all the companies that have that have helped us out with with stuff like that's just much appreciated. And all the Patreon subscribers. I mean, we're we're really kind of on a trajectory to do more cool stuff and we're, we're trying to keep doing cool stuff as much as we can with full-time jobs but um yeah man i i'm just over the moon as they say and one more joe we got to give one more shout out <clears throat> who did i miss or one more heads up let's call it who'd i miss our buddy jr Wright is now guiding oh yeah up on lake orville mm-hmm if anybody's up in that Northern California area, if you want a great guide, he's he's knowledgeable. He's a he's a cool guy. He's got a lot of patience. He's wanting to get kids, newbies out. He wants to teach. He wants to be able to give back to this sport. Um, hit up Jr. Wright. Um, 
His social media is just on Facebook. It's just J.R. Wright on Instagram. It is. Um, let's see. What is his Instagram? I'm looking it up right now. And, and, and another uh, awesome guest. So, yeah. Go out with him. You'll have fun. <clears throat> you can thank us later. <clears throat> um, if any, if it, I'm sorry, my microphone is something weird. If if anybody wants to get a hold of him and you can't find him, send um, me or Joel a message and we will get you in touch with him for sure. Absolutely. So yeah, and that's another great uh, reminder though is all the great guests we've had on. Man, I oh yeah, I almost feel like I want to do a top ten, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But there's well, been some great ones. You know what? You could have people um, get, cast their vote for, and then get a top ten. I I think that's cool. I think people are yes. I think people vote with their with their ears on this one, but I I agree. I think there should maybe we should do something like that. I, I or most informative maybe. Good luck going against Barrick. <laughs> Goodness gracious! I know how many so much good, you do. We got so many good, so much good feedback. I I we I was like I said I was kind of incognito. I wasn't able to talk to you a lot, but I've got so many messages. Um. And I'm sure you did too. We haven't really talked about it, but man, it's- I got I got a lot. Dude. Yeah. It, it, it was everybody loved it. Everybody loved, you know. And it wasn't on on my end, and I'm sure I didn't get near as many as you. But on my end, I got several, and no one was like, "Oh, I love hearing him talk frog fishing." They're like, "Dude, him talking about spinnerbait fishing was amazing." <laughs> that's that was that's what I took. From, I mean, I I love talking about that stuff, you know, because I, I I I talk about the spinnerbait too much. So we'll, we'll my favorite on. part is when he said, "If you want to." If you want to make the guy in the back of your boat feel bad, throw some mylar in there. He will be on the back deck, curled up in the fetal position by the outboard. <laughs> I'm doing it too because I've got some. <clears throat> I'm excited. I'm excited to put some of some of those tips and tricks to work. I really am. Early February through, like, what did he say? He dialed in February the fifth. <laughs> February fifth. Through the middle of March. He's so good. I mean, like, he didn't even have... He hadn't even been fishing the Delta, and he still gave us, like, some serious juice on, like, what to do that weekend for Snag Proof. So, and speaking of snag, love, oh, speaking yeah. of snag Proof... Sorry, go ahead, Ryan. No, I was going to say, I, I would love Bobby to show up and just, just blind fish a tournament of the Delta, not even be in there and see how he holds yes, it. I, I, I bet he turned like some heads. He had to play MC, um, but uh, winners. Harv Pulliam? You got we got Harv Pulliam and Jamon Andrews in first. Yeah, Cameron Cardoza, Jeremy Wright in second. Cameron Cardoza runs the um, it's the San Joaquin Junior Bassmasters High School Fishing Team. I, I've I've done some seminars with them and great group of kids, great guy. And then uh, our buddy Christian Ostrander and his partner Mark um, Yang or Jang, I'm not sure, took third. So congrats to them. Our guy Logan Huntsy ended up in sixth with his with his little brother. That a kid? Not that so little cool. anymore. Not Joey that. Price. Joey Price with a 12th place finish. Solid, bud. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. Right, and you know, one more. Good buddy of mine, Casey Davis. He's a he's going to listen to this. He listens to everyone. He finished in 22nd. He had a great day one, a rough day two, but uh, or one or the other. But good job, Casey. We see you. One or the other. One or the other. All right. Well, we got a. What do you got? We, we got. We got a good. We got a good guest on this evening. 
solid to say the least. Pretty solid. Um, he was just on uh, Bass Talk Live. We won't hold it against him. Uh, if you guys want to check that out, you can. But uh, we got we got the West Coast man, rookie, MLF angler, who just broke into the championship, Phil Dutra. Out there turning some heads. Yeah. And really came into a lot of those lakes, and we'll, we'll talk to him about it for sure, but not knowing any of that stuff and went in and just grind, you know, put his head down, fished, and, and was able to, to make it work. And, uh, yeah, we get to watch him fish the, the championship of the tour. So that's awesome. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. So we want we want I know we, he just like he was just on another podcast, but we really wanted to have him on before he, he fished this. Um, give him, I mean, he's a West Coast guy. Not a whole lot of them out there on the tour. A few, but no, no, I don't think there's any other rookies. So, um, yeah, got to have him on. And I've, I've followed him for a while. I mean, I, I like his, it kind of goes back to the faith thing too. He's real, he's real big in his faith. And, um, I like that. I like guys who aren't scared of that, of, of, you know, putting them, putting that, putting that out there, you know, we need more of it. Wouldn't hurt. I'd, I'd like to see if we can squeeze a little striper juice out of him. Let's try. Because he, he, the, the kid, I don't know, the kid, whatever, the guy, the kid, he, he's a phenomenal striper fisherman. Absolutely phenomenal striper fisherman. Well, we can definitely talk about that. We got, I got no qualms about the stripey ones. But um, we're going to send him a message here right now, and then he'll be on. You got anything he'll be else on like I, Donkey Kong. You got anything else while I send him this, this here message? Um, man, if everybody out there could just off the top of my head, since you asked, <clears throat> say a prayer for a little buddy Mason. He's he's going through some scans and stuff right now today. Actually, um, I'm not sure when they're going to get the results, but uh, say a prayer for that kid that mm-hmm. that he can be feeling better and and, and maybe have some healing and uh, feel good enough to get back out on the water for a trip or 200, 300, whatever it may be. Um, we need to get that kid back out on the water, and he needs some prayers. So if you guys could, if you don't mind, throw a few of those up for him. Yeah, we're wishing the best for Mason. You know what movie we watched the other night? <clears throat> that Will Ferrell, Everything Must Go. You remember that one? That's a great movie. That is a highly... It's so depressing, though. It is a highly underrated movie. I, I love that movie. I, yeah. It's not like a regular Will Ferrell deal. No, it's got a little bit of him in it, but... As far as like the Will Ferrellness, I think it's a. I, you know what's cool about it is I do like seeing actors kind of go out of their their normal character acting type deal or whatever. Right, and yeah, I think he did a great job because you like you said it's depressing, it's sad. Like he does a great job of making you feel like this is really sad. You know. No, I, I agree with you there. I just I'm not. Oh, I don't like sad songs or sad movies. It's got an okay ending. You know, it leaves you thinking he's going to be okay, but I don't know. Still depressing, especially when he finds out his sponsor is banging his old lady. Yeah, yeah. I'm like you, little bastard. Yeah, it's been a while since I watched it. I forgot about that part. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's right towards <laughs> the end of the movie. Well, the fun, I, I I I watched it just recently, but I didn't get to the very end. I just like uh-huh. his interactions with the neighborhood kid. Oh, that part's great. I Can't love you- that. That's funny too. <laughs> He's like, I've been pocketing your money for beer money. If I'm being honest with you, <laughs> I've been skimming you off the top. And he just teaches him like sales techniques. I don't know. Yeah, it's a great movie. There's, there's a great angler. What's up, Phil? 
Speaking of him. What's going, on? What's going on, guys? How you doing? Man, we're better now. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, we man. Just, pleasure just, to be with you guys. We just got 30%, 40% better. Maybe 50% better. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see how, we'll see how it. it goes. We'll see how it goes. No, I was going to say, you, you're lowballing him. You're lowballing him, Ryan. Come on now. Man. <laughs> man. <laughs> oh, man. Well, glad to be on, man. Glad to be on. Again, glad Where are you at? Are you here in Cali? I, or... No, you you moved. Never mind. I am sitting on uh, my porch in Gunnersville, Alabama. Uh, it, beautiful weather out here, and yeah, just yeah, I'm in Gunnersville, Alabama, man, living the slow life and uh, the peaceful life and the green life. It's beautiful out here. And you are home. That is awesome. That's got to be a good feeling after this season. Yeah, yeah, I've been gone for uh, actually. I ended the year. Well, I fly back to New York in two days, but I. Uh, I ended the season for the most part. Uh, I was gone for a month. I got home nine days ago. I'm home for uh, two more days, or I fly out in two days back to New York to finish up the uh, the championship at St. Lawrence. So my boat and truck are up there right now. But uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it is nice to be home. And then this will be my last event for the year, and then I have five months off um, that I'm you know I'm looking forward to a nice little family time, off time, kind of settle in time. I still haven't even got to really explore Alabama because I moved here in December. Season started in January, so I've been on the go. Um, so haven't had a lot of time to do a lot of exploring. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Have you fished? And, and I can't remember if you guys had an event on Gunnersville this year, but have you fished Gunnersville quite a bit now that you've lived close? I know you say you weren't able to, well, to, to, to go explore Alabama, but have you put your boat in and, and checked out Gunnersville? So I literally can walk to the lake in three minutes from my house. Like I could be there as we're talking here. Um, that's how close I live to the Browns Creek launch ramp. Goodness gracious. Um, I have only fished this lake like maybe 15 days in my life. And I've been here for eight months be- and, and, and I had two tournaments here. So that was the tour event, which happened to be my worst event of the entire year. Um, which was really one day. It was the first, the second day I crushed them. The first day I bombed and lost a couple big ones. And that really changed my whole season. Um, it still ended up a great phenomenal season, but I, I would have been flirting with like a top 15 in points with, if it wasn't for that. But, uh, yeah, so I had one, uh, I had a Toyota here and then I had a tour event here and I have not put my boat in the water since the tour event here two, three months ago. Um, I just haven't had time. I like literally get back. I, you know, I have a full-time uh, career as well, and then my family, and usually when I'm back, I'm back for like a week or two, and then I got to go. And I had some, my boat in and out of the shop, so a lot of times I get it back, and I'd have a little touch-up work or, you know, whatever service on it. So um, I have barely fished this place, man. I am so looking forward to, uh, when I get back, to really spending some time and putting around Gunnersville. Yeah. Yeah, just doing some fun Congrats fishing. Congrats on making know? the championship, by the way. Absolutely. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, we we I mean talked about having you on me and him for a while now, and I guess it was kind of one of those things when it started getting towards the end, and you were you were up there, and and rookie year going to make that championship. I think we both just kind of sat back and were like, okay, let's let's hope he gets it, and then this will be a great one for our. It, I mean, honestly, yeah. it's it's crazy timing because it's our hundredth it's our hundredth episode, which is really cool. And oh heck yeah, being able to have a guy like you on, uh, West Coast guy representing, you know, all of us West Coasters out there. Yep. You know, I mean, it couldn't have been cooler, man. Well, thank Joel, you. Yeah, I'm on Go ahead. When I flew all the way across country to go fish Lake <laughs> Champlain that I've never been to. And there's this boat idling out of this area, and I'm like, that 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 looks like Philip Dutra's boat. We pull up next to him. I'm like, that that that's got to be. I'm I'm all stop stop. 
I'm like, Philip. He's like, yeah. I'm like, when when that happens, that's crazy. I'm like, okay, we, we got to have him on the podcast. That's that's yeah, that, yeah. God's talking to me right there. He's like, you guys need to talk to this fella. A hundred percent. And that was, I think that was, uh, wasn't that that real windy day or maybe not? I don't, was that a real windy day or the, no? Maybe, maybe So it was blowing good. We actually had a guide trip scheduled the next day with that guy's tournament partner. Um, the next day we got canceled because it was blowing like 25 to 35. But that day was uh, okay, blowing maybe. probably 15 to 20. Got it. Yeah, which is a lot on that lake, especially if you get down the lake. But uh, oh, yeah, wow. that was it. what a small world, man. I was like, what in the world? Like we're <laughs> two thousand miles away for you, or three? I don't even know how fast. Maybe further than two thousand miles, right? And I'm like twelve hundred miles away from now, Alabama, and we just got, and then the lake. The lake is ginormous. Yeah, I was it's not like it's, it's this, around quick. No, that's a that's not a just, small lake. That just thing to is run huge. into anybody on that lake <laughs> in the same day is crazy, dude. It's uh, it's a hundred and twenty miles long just the length of the lake let alone the width and the in, you know the, the the inland sea and stuff so yeah what a, a small world man that was crazy and you had just caught you would i think you said you caught a five something smaller that day right i did i did i had figured something right out like i think either right before and or after yeah i think it was right before because i already caught five. yeah i had figured some stuff and you guys had a phenomenal day i saw the pictures and it looked like you had an epic smallmouth day dude i had never caught a smallie over three in my life i just haven't fished the fisheries we have in california that has them you know um, yep yeah i mean we went i went out and caught i think i had four over four with a 460 that day so for me i mean that was beyond way i don't really set expectations when i go anywhere with anyone because i know how fishing is but that was way beyond yeah. what i was expecting so just what, a, what an awesome dude you go out there on that place i mean one cast is a 12 pound sheep head and the next cast is a four pound smallie off the same pillar you know just crazy did you catch or like have you caught those sheephead yet uh yeah not i don't think i caught any at champlain but i have caught them i think i caught them at i think i caught them at i might mix them up too but i think i caught some at chicken or chickamauga or something dude i forget where even but yeah i have caught them somewhere i forgot where they are a blast man they pull like a carp on steroids <laughs> yeah they do yeah they do actually i think i caught one at champlain now that i think about it in pre-practice i think i did but yeah yeah they're they're uh it's cool i mean back here man there's so many different species you catch i've caught so many different i don't even know all the species i've caught this year from florida to texas to up there um virginia uh snake i think i caught like a something called a snake head or a snake oh, something yeah, in virginia yeah, yeah. um dude it's crazy i've caught pike musky uh you, you know just drum rock bass rockfish i don't even, like I said i don't even know all the names of everything i'm catching man it's crazy crazy there's so much cool stuff out there. Like, it, it, and we caught those little yellow perch. Those actually, I, I went and caught a bunch when we fried them up for dinner. Those things were delicious. But yeah, yeah. You know what's funny is um, I remember seeing different colors over the years in, in in regards to bait, like bait colors. And every time I saw that perch, dude, I no joke. I mean, I was so ignorant, I guess, or just didn't have a clue. I was like, dude, that is the dumbest color. I've never seen a fish that looks like that. And then I came back here. The first one I ever <laughs> saw one, I caught one. I caught one at the James River, and I was like, what in the world is this? I think I texted, like, Ish and a couple other guys, and like, dude, that's a perch. I'm like, wait a minute. So that color that says perch on it, that looks, it's super green with the bars on it and, and the bright orange on it. I'm like, that's actually a real thing? I thought that was just like a, I literally thought that was like an Amazon, you know, South American color. Right, it looks like a peacock I, or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And then come to find out, they're all over the north, south, everywhere. 
over here. So yeah. well, it's, it's funny. Guys on the West Coast go and buy a perch lure, and they're looking at it and like, what the hell kind of per- what, perch? I've never seen this fish That's before. what I'm saying, yeah. And you don't think about it, but then Ryan goes back, and he catches them, and I'm like, oh, so that's what they mean. <laughs> why yeah. I'm never. No, that's, that's what I why am I using these in California? We don't even have that fish. No. <laughs> yeah. Right. But uh, Champlain is a cool lake, man. I'll tell you, out of all the lakes I've been to, which is not a bunch, but I think I've been to nine lakes this year. You know, around the country, from like I said, from Texas to Florida to New York, Virginia, Kentucky, and whatever. Uh, I'd say Champlain probably was the overall. When I say overall for beauty the size of the lake, the weather conditions, the fishing, all of it, and, you know, encompassed in one, I think Champlain, uh, so far takes, takes number one this year. What I, I Harris is amazing. Lake Harris, or Harris chain, but, um, I, I really like Champlain. I'm going back over to the St. Lawrence. That was really cool too. Um, I, I like Champlain more, even though St. Lawrence has bigger smallmouth there. I just, I like Champlain more. It's more versatile and you can do more things and you can catch both species, uh, that both play where St. Lawrence is pretty much just smallmouth. I mean, you know, if you look at all the history of the, uh, St. Lawrence, it's like 97% smallmouth in regards to playing in tournaments. And it's, and it's like 35 foot of visibility, which I love. Don't get me wrong, but like, it just makes it more one dimensional, which is cool for a tournament or two, but I would never want to live there. And cause I mean, you're living with like four rods in your hand. You really don't ever do much more than that. So, mm-hmm. but I'm looking forward to going up there cause they're four and five pound smallies at St. Lawrence is, is pretty fun. I want yeah. to see you crack a 25 pound bag of smallies. I um, dude, <laughs> you, you and people think they've seen some emotions. I've been posting a couple of little videos of some of my emotion and passion this year, the last couple of days and they're horrible footage videos. I'm working on getting that all better, but there was just some clips I had on my phone, but man, I, uh, this sport, man, and, and uh, just the adrenaline and everything built up inside of me from a childhood to now, like everything people see and I post, dude, it is not, I mean, that's just me. It really is. I, I, I die for this stuff. I mean, the, the passion I have for it, and when it comes out, when I catch these fish, like if I caught a 25-pound bag of smallmouth at St. Lawrence, you'd probably see me freaking out. <laughs> so, I've been, I I've, I am. I've been enjoying those those posts, though. Phil, I like I like well, watching you. and seeing that, and it's raw. It's like I like that you're like not worried about it being too too refined. You're out there fishing. You're not a videographer, right? So yeah. don't I wouldn't yeah. worry I wouldn't worry too much about that. The people that follow yeah, you, the I, people I like that, them to get a li- yeah. I just want them to be. Um, for a while, I had the camera on the windshield, and then I backed it up to the mm. uh, post on the back. And so the post on the back is better because it gets a better, wider footage. So like I'm not walking off camera all the time because I always go to the yeah. back of the boat. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of a little better quality. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I decided I was debating on posting them. But, like, one of the things that I'm passionate about and, and I really want to portray and always be is I'm a West Coast fisherman. I could live – I'll probably live here for the rest of my life. Um, but that, I'm not a Gunnersville, Alabama fisherman. I learned – I tre- you know, I did everything I know, all my experience, all my friends, all my – everything I know in bass fishing is from the West. And, and uh and I, and, and I always say, like, I don't ever want to forget my roots. I never will. That's anything in life. And then, and I always want to be open about, like, I want to share everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, my emotion, everything. I don't want to just be like the, you know, especially this day and age, we live in this social media world where everything is just the glamour, right? Everybody's perfect life. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, in the bass fishing, and I think so much, too. I know for me, dude, I, I mean, you know, sometimes I think I'm an island. Like, dude, do other people panic like I do? Do other people stress like I do in terms? Do other people have these negative feelings that, you know, it's cause, cause let's face it, tournament bass fishing, especially if you're doing pro-ams and you're not on a team deal is 
it's a lonely sport. Not lonely as in depressing. Lonely as in there's no coach. There's no teammates. There's no, there's no one to come to you and say, Hey, you know, I noticed, you know, the way you're pitching this pitch or, Hey, I I noticed this or let's review, you know, let's talk like, no, it's, it's all you. And I love that. Actually, I love, that's one of the greatest things I love about the sport, but it also is, can create very low lows if you're not careful. And Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate. I I have a group. I got four guys, um, all from the West, uh, that I, I kind of rely on as uh, like a coaching, processing, talking, um, you know, to, to, to kind of, process things and that's really helped me a lot but um uh you know but yeah it's a it's a lonely sport man so i like i like to show that on my footage is and the passion and stuff and the things that even like a couple events i had really bad i had a couple bad toyota events this year thank god they weren't the tours but and like i was like man i'm not gonna post after day one i mean like 180th like i'm not gonna and i'm like no man remember you I, like i really want to never you know, I always want to portray everything. Like, look, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I feel like people can relate relate to that. And and then people, hopefully, because like I really want to inspire people, especially from the West, but anywhere and everywhere. I want to inspire people, and I want people to realize like this road. There's ups, there's downs. If you go through hard times, you go through a bad day, a bad tournament, whatever. Like, this is real. This is this. It's not just the glamour shot. It's not just holding the trophy mm-hmm. trophy and the pictures of you know holding up the big one. So. Anyway, I'm over here blabbing away, but no, you're you're see this. You're a podcaster's dream, Phil. I did. I, <laughs> I wanted I wanted to clarify though, just for some. There's, I mean, we've got guys from all you know different uh, levels of angling that that listen to the show now. Originally, it was all for. I figured it was all just going to be for guys that want to learn a little bit. And can you talk a little bit about when? Because you say you say the tour and you say the Toyota, and so the Toyota is the series tour. You're talking about opens, correct? Uh, the tour I'm talking about, the MLF, the Major League Fishing Tackle Warehouse Tour. So that's what I'm fishing this year. That's the main event. Like, that's the main tour where yeah. there's uh, 155 guys in the whole country. You have to qualify to get there. Um, you qualify through the Toyotas. You got it. They take five per region per year. Um, and then once you're in, you can requalify by just being in the top in the points and whatnot. So that is a set group that never changes throughout the year. It's the same 155 guys we start the season with. Um, and then it's all over, you know, it's, 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 so it's major league, it's the old FLW tour. Mm -hmm. Now it's the major league fishing tackle warehouse tour. It's, they've changed a little bit, which I'm glad where it's not, you can't just pay to get in. You got to qualify. Um, you know, there's big money on the line, big entry fees, media coverage. They got the live, uh, coverage every day where they got Marty stone and a couple other guys that, um, do the, you know, the, the, the live all day. So that's the tackle warehouse tour. When I say tour and then the Toyota series, that's like what we have on the west coast uh, that's okay the I, ha- I had i had them backwards that's what it was yeah and, and that's and they have those all around the country they have per region right i think there's like seven regions so they got the westerns the centrals the northerns and anybody can fish that three tournaments um you can fish one you can fish all it doesn't matter but you know lower entry fee lower prizes and like here dude it's so big we had the first event of the year on the centrals it was on Gunnersville. We had 332 boats on a one Toyota event on Gunnersville. Wow. 332. We can't wow. even, I mean, the Delta, you know, the West <clears throat> struggling to get 70, 80 boats, but, um, you know, it's, it's crazy how big it is out here. It's, it's, it's insane. But, uh, but yeah, so those are the two, those are the two tours, you know, and then there, and then, and then, you know, for the people that are not maybe mega familiar, then the, so major league fishing has their kind of flagship, which is the Bass Pro Tour. And then they have the kind of the one step down, but it's still a very high tour is the Tackle Warehouse Tour. And then you have the Opens, which are anybody can fish, the Toyotas, mm-hmm. the, the uh, yeah. and then back here, they don't have them on West, but then they have the BFLs out here, which are like one day, $200, you 
you know, events that anybody can fish. That's even a lower level of BFL. So, yeah. Got it. Thank you for the clarification. And, you know, yeah. there, I mean, there's, it, 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 like you said, it, it's FLW and it's MLF. There's a lot of different things going on out there. If you're kind of new to, even if you've been bass fishing for a while and you start getting into that, the whole tournament stuff, it can be pretty daunting. You know, I'm yeah. doing this podcast yeah. a couple of years now and I still trip up. <laughs> it's like, well, there, yeah, well, there's, gonna, there's so, there's so many different, there's so much stuff going on right now. There's so many different options out there. There is. You got the NPFL that just started two years ago. You know, you got to, obviously you got the elites and then the whole M and then you had separately, you had MLF NFLW until two years ago when MLF bought FLW out. So you have that merger and then their tours merging. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot going on in, in, in regards to the, um, what, you know, what tours and what's going on, but it really, at the I think at the end of the day, for people to understand, you really have the Bassmaster Elite Series is, and then you have, uh, so you have the Bassmaster Elites, which is, which is bass. And then you have MLF that has the Bass Pro Tour, which is the unlimited fish format, catchway release. And then you have the Tackle Warehouse Tour, um, which is five fish also owned by MLF. And those are kind of your three, um, your, your, those are basically the three highest tours in the country the, between those three, depending on how you, you know, cut the cookie, but yeah. That's it. So, thank you so, for that clarification. Yeah, I got I got two things. One, really quick, I love that you are open and honest, and you let people know the good, the bad, the ugly, all that fun stuff. Because I mean, you got a lot of you know kids out there following you that are thinking, you know, oh my god, he's living the dream, and that's just amazing. I just want to go fish. You know, it's going to be so much fun, and I, I'm you know, and, and I'm sure it is, but. <clears throat> I love that you're also showing them reality that it's tough, that you struggle, that it's a grind, you know, and, 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 and get somebody that wants to do that mentally prepared for kind of what that entails. Um, yeah. two, two, just also really quick. So I'm not even saying real quick, Joel, it's really quick now. Oh, uh, yeah. See, so you're just, you're skirting it. You're skirting the rules. Skirting is what you're doing. Skirt, skirt. Um, so from the level you're at now to the level, you know, I'm sure you're going to move up to the top. You will. There's no doubt in any of our minds. What do you think of the the regular five fish limit format versus the unlimited fish? Are, which one do you think would suit your style of fishing better? Um, I've always said I'm I'm a five fish guy. Um, I, I I'm a I love what I love about the five fish format is there's a lot of strategy. So I'm like mega. Anybody that knows me knows that I am. I've been said everywhere I've gone to be like the most competitive person anyone's ever met, and it could be a card game with my kid, my five year old kid. I'm not going to let him win. Like I'm just mega competitive. You seem, you seem, you literally, you seem like, too nice for that, Phil. You seem too nice for that. <laughs> I try to be nice um, it, through it. I try to be lovingly competitive, but I, uh, I don't know, man. I'm just born and raised that way. Um, it, or I, I won't even say born and raised that way. My dad, my dad taught me, you know, do your best and all that. I think I maybe got a lot of it from my grandfather who just passed away. He's the one who had the. I grew up on his houseboat on the Delta. He passed away two weeks ago. Um, but he was, uh, he was like, it was always about winning for, with him. It was always about like, if you're second, you're the first loser. Now, granted, I think you have to have the right attitude and the right, and you can't be a poor sport and you got to look at, you know, but, but I think that mentality, like for me, I, I always want to be the best in everything I possibly can. Like I, I do, I, the preparation, the, the, the strategy. And so the more I think variables, the better. And that's one of the greatest things about bass fishing. Bass fishing has more variables as a sport. I think 
think then blows any other sport out of the water when it comes to variables of what we're what we're doing or how what we're competing against and and uh you know competing as a living creature right i mean it's not like just fundamentals in your you know how you throw the ball or how you see the you know whatever it's 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 unbelievable amounts of variables that are changing every second of every day. I, I love to get into the weeds about that. Like very similar to Bobby. I talked to Bobby a lot. A uh, good friend of mine. We're very, very, very similar minded and we get way into the weeds. And I think there's a lot of, um, there's, a, a, you know, I, I just love it. So getting back to the question, the five fish format, what, one of the things I love is it adds, I, I don't even, it's hard to say, but I, I feel like it adds another element of strategizing on mm-hmm. how much weight do I have? I mean, I'll, like, a lot of my success in the last couple of years, I think, comes from the little things. I talk about this so often. The little things are so overlooked and yet are the greatest differences. And I think in any sport, now you have like, and, and you have like, and I'm going to come back to the question. I sometimes get sidetracked, but like you have, you Run have, you have the, the, everybody in, in all sports, you, you think about the basics and, and, and this and that and the other, whatever the basic things are, whatever the main things are. And I think so many times what people don't realize is the littlest of the details are the ones that separate the really good from the exceptionally phenomenal. So you have to have it, this. right? Like you, you, you have to have it. Not everybody has it, but lots of people have it, it, the it factor. But out of the amount of people that have the it factor, how many Tiger Woods's are there? How many Tom Brady's are there? How many Kevin Van Dams? Rick Clunz and Jacob Wheeler's are there. There's, there's one or two per sport per, you know, decade or, or whatever it is. The difference, but in my opinion, if between the Jacob Wheeler and I'm not even going to say names, but everybody else who's very, very good, they're fishing at that high level, but obviously Jacob Wheeler is a step ahead of everybody just based on stats, right? Based on what well, I don't have to prove that one. You just look at the numbers, right? And, or Kevin Van Dam or Tiger Woods or whoever it is. It's the little details. I had a friend that, um, that was a football player and he worked and he played for the Raiders and then he played for the Patriots when uh, this is like six, seven, eight years ago. And he had said when he went over and played with Brady, he said it was the little things, the work ethic, the they're not in the locker room goofing around. It's the little things. And I think in bass fishing, I talked to so many people, uh, good friends of mine, and I'm always talking about don't you put so much time into figuring out how to get the right bites. Right. And I don't know if you guys see it, but I, I have this little thing that I, I kind of put on my jersey SVE strategy versatility execution. That's like my how I kind of game plan, how I prep, how I and there's a lot that goes into those three words. Like a lot. I base my entire fishing around those three words. Strategy, versatility, execution. You can say the words, right? And they're like, "Oh, cool, execution, big deal." And I think so many people overlook how many like what is your ex- people think, "Oh, I have a flipping stick, so this is the right rod." Or my drag, this is I'm using this and nobody really puts those to numbers. And I, I'm a numbers guy. That's what I do for a living. I manage money. I deal with numbers every day. And I'm, I've always based things on percentages. And I don't care. Like people, I think a lot of people have the wrong concept when they, when they talk about, um, when they talk about, oh, I caught a 35-pound bag on that hook, so that's the greatest hook or, or the rod or whatever. I, I caught a world record. I, caught the, I don't care what you caught. I care what you lost, right? So, you can beat just because you beat me, just because you beat me in a tournament, that means absolutely nothing when we're talking about statistics, numbers, and data. Because just because you beat me, maybe it's because you're a better fisherman in general, and that doesn't mean your execution is higher, or maybe that day you got 20 bites 
and you landed 10 of them, but your 10 were better than my 10 for 10. It just, so that just because you would, cause I, I'll have this conversation with some people and they go, Oh, well I got 35 pounds doing this technique. And I'm like, dude, I, none of that matters. All that matters is per hundred fish. How many are you boating per technique? That's what matters. And I, I'm a hard data guy. So I have numbers in my phone right now. Like I'm testing a couple different hooks out right now. I'm testing a different rod. So I have every time I hook a fish, how many I, I mark in my phone. Okay. So I've, I hooked one. Did I land it? So like right now I'm testing a, a couple new hooks out. So I have in my phone and I won't make a, um, I won't make a statement or, uh, you know, is this hook good or bad? I don't know. until I at least have a hundred bites minimum, minimum, because 10, if I go 10 for 10, that means nothing. That's not enough data. Right. So I need to get a hundred bites minimum to give me better, accurate data. What did I land? Did I land 93 compared to your 80? Well, the difference between 80 and 93 could be the difference of you fishing uh, the Bassmaster Elite Series or the Bass Pro Tour or whatever for the rest of your life being the most successful bass fisherman in the world and being another guy who just wins some checks and is good on your region and was a good fisherman but never made it because the 13% hookup ratio per one technique. Like, I get into the wheat. I love it because at the end of the day, you do all the work to get the bite and then whether we're talking about execution, right? And you think you're, oh, this just happens. Like I hear that all the time. Ah, you just, you just lose them. You just, it's just part of the game. You're just going to lose them on a crankbait. You're, it's trouble hooks. You're just going to lose them, right? I'm not going to say names, but I throw giant swim baits a lot. And there are some big guys out there that are on big tours that everybody knows their names. And they say, you're going to lose 50% of them. That's just what it is. Well, I can straight up say that's not true at all. Data driven, not my subjective uh, thought. This is my objective research and what I do per hundred fish on a big swim bait. If I'm landing 95% of them and some guy's saying 50% is what it is, that's a huge difference, right? And, 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 and what your landing ratios are. And so I know I'm so off in the weeds right now, but, um, but I, so these are, but I, I bring this up because I love to try to explain to people out there. If you're, if you're seeking tournaments or it doesn't have to be a tournament fisherman, whatever, you just want to land more fish that things are so, overlook and don't just think what you're doing is the best or the right rod or the right line or the right hook just because you're doing it and you caught some fish and this is what somebody told you that means nothing test it say okay so like and i'll give you an example this whole journey for me started uh in regards to the execution factor and rods reels lines i spent hundreds hundreds and hundreds of hours hundreds of hours in probably the last 17 years of conversations testing rods lines drags reels how to fight the fish, what angle do you set the hook on per hook, per technique, per whatever, and, and testing. And I mean, still to this day, there's a few. Right now, fly baiting, something I've been doing new. My landing ratio is absolutely tragic, but that's because I just started <laughs> like three weeks ago. So I'm not going to just accept that. I'm going to talk to everybody I know that has the highest landing ratio. I'm going to test. I've already tested three different rods out, different lines, different drag situations, and I'm going to get it as high as I can. And so when it, uh, I'll go back to where I was talking about. So when it started with treble hooks with me, um, am I way off? Am I like, you guys want me to rein it back in here real you quick? Are, you are, you are, Ryan was just, uh, cause we, we text of course during the show, we talk about like where we're going to take it next, things like that. And Ryan said, and I don't usually, um, talk about this, but he said he's a thoroughbred, let him run. So that's what okay, we're doing. Sorry. Okay. So, <laughs> and if you want to rein me back in, let me know. I, I, I can do, I can do that, but I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to come back. Cause I do want to answer your original question of the five fish. And so I'll say this, it started years ago. I was watching Kevin Van Dam when he was on his, I don't quote me on the years. I think it was like 08, 09, 010, or 08, 09, 10 or something like that. When he went like mega back to back to back to back and just crushed everything. And what I noticed is when I was watching the tournament, Kevin Van Dam was crushing with a rattle trap or a square bill or whatever, treble hook bait, rip bait. And he was never losing. Them. 
And then I remember watching all the other guys, and and I've always said this, very few tournaments does the winner that won that tournament, did he really just blow it away. Most tournaments, talk, go to any tournament and hang around the, and see how many guys have the bites to win, right? You hear it all the time, oh, dude, I had the bites to win. Mm-hmm. They didn't come in the boat. So in most tournaments, not all, there's some times where a guy runs away with it, nobody could have done anything no matter how what they did. That happens for sure. But how many tournaments did five or six different people have the winning bites, but there was only one winner? What happened? That guy lost one. That guy broke it off. That guy made a bad decision. You know, that what it just came off, blah, blah, blah. And people just say that's fishing. And I'm not saying I'm 100%. So let me be really clear on that. There's no such thing as 100% in landing ratios and bass fishing. But Well, you're the one. Is, yeah, you, I, you, you did say, like, these are living animals. There's things underwater. There's things going on. You have no, you really, you don't have any control over. There's a snag somewhere. You, there's you, something. No, you don't. But, but here's the data that I challenge people on is, you're right. There's no such thing as 100%. And I, I'm not saying I've never lost a fish by any means. I've lost fish this year. But if I know that, so, so going back to this crankbait thing real quick, and then I'm going to rein it back. So I watched him and him, and he like never lost any fish on a crankbait. And so I'm like, dude, the difference of him winning. So I, so I said, you know what? I want to research. And then back at the time, I was working at the tackle shop uh, on the Delta. And, you know, people would just say, oh, you know, on crankbaits, you're just going to, especially 15, 16 years ago, people are like, you're just going to lose you know, 25% of your crankbait fish, you hook 10, you're probably going to lose two to three. It's just crankbait fishing. It's triple hook fishing. That was the common knowledge. So I started researching Kevin Van Dam, his rod, his hook, his line, how he fought him, what his theory was on, on reaction bait fishing with trouble. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, shoot, that guy seems to have the best landing ratio on that. I, I don't care what he says about punching. I don't care what he says about other things because that's not what I'm seeing that his execution is amazing. So I kind of duplicated exactly what I listened to him and my, my, my landing ratio went from about 75 to about 95. So it, and, and it stayed that way forever since then. You can't and beat those numbers. You cannot beat those numbers. And you cannot beat them. And punching, I tell people all the time, like I, I, in my opinion, I don't want to come off as arrogant or whatever. I talked to many of the best punchers in the country. Obviously I'm from the Delta. A lot of the greatest punchers come from there. I feel like my ratios of punching, I don't, I'll say this. I don't know anybody who has a landing ratio that's higher than mine. I'm not trying to be, again, I'm not trying to come off as anything, but I'm saying because, but my theory is completely opposite of 99% of people in regards to my rod, my drag, what I, how I, the whole concept of it. Now, and I only bring that up because maybe I said that wrong. Well, I want to, I want to, I want to at least, uh, I want to at least save that one. Uh, when we bring it back to the Delta, I would love to hear your thoughts on punching and how that's different. Yeah, yeah. But go ahead. Go yeah, let's, and, and, let's finish up this question and, and we'll head that way. Yeah, okay. So five fish format, Bass Pro Tour. If I qualify for the Bass Pro Tour, I would definitely fish it because it is the elite circuit with the biggest names. And as, as much as I love five fish, absolutely love five fish format, I probably always would love to have – one thing I like about Major League Fishing is they offer both tours under major league fishing they offer the five fish tour and they offer the bass pro if i qualified for the bass pro tour i'd probably do something like uh what justin lucas says he fishes both of them there's a couple guys skeet reese does both of them and because i want to compete against the best in the world and even though there's a handful of the guys on the bass pro tour that compete on on the tackle warehouse tour which is great the all of the best are on the bass pro tour and so I would want to do that. And I think it would be fun. And I do think when they changed the format a couple years ago to a two-pound minimum instead of a one-pound minimum, I do think that changed the game a lot. That was that was huge. It, that was huge. I, that I, was huge I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought that 
because I've been watching that from the beginning. It, it's entertaining to watch, and they also stream it. It was easy to find. You could watch it. You I mean you could watch it in the background at work or listen to it at least, and I would still do. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. That two pound makes makes a little bit of a difference, but it's still not it's still not the five fish limit. No, it's still not the five fish, and that's why I love I love the strategy behind five fish. I love the the thought process of I, I'm so I'll be really quick. I promise. So I feel like a lot of the success I've had in the last couple of years from West Coast to even out here on tour was being very strategic with weights in my head, it being very strategic of what I'm catching on day one and day two. So if I'm like, okay, I think I need you know, uh, just making numbers up here, 30. If I need 28 pounds, I think in my head to make the cut um, and say, obviously the first five fish, I'm going to catch everything I can for the first five, but say my first five, I got, you know, 14 pounds and I need 28 and I'm on day one. I always I sometimes ask the question to friends. I say, what, what do you do at that point? Well, I didn't give you enough information because the mm-hmm. true answer is what's my smallest fish, right? If I have 14 pounds and my smallest fish is almost a three pounder, if they're all three, that's a tough decision because I don't want to keep burning yeah. fish. If I have 14 pounds and my smallest fish is a 160, I'm catching another one until I get rid of that. And then, so it helps me make a lot of decisions. The only reason I'm in the championship is that Champlain, I made a very, very, very crucial decision. Um, and it was minimal. I had a horrible day too. When I say horrible, I had almost 15 pounds, but that's not good at Champlain. Day one, I had almost 19 and I had 12 and a half pounds. And I knew in my head, I needed 16, in my opinion, to make the cut after day one weights, when you look at the weights and day... So I needed 16 to make the cut and I felt like I needed about 14 in a, uh, right over 14 to make the championship. I had all the numbers in my head. I had 12 and a half pounds in the boat, two hours left. And I, and I, and I had two one and a half pound smallies in the, in the live well, and I could not for the life of me get rid of them. So I had an area where I had some two to two and a quarter pound largemouth, and I'm doing the math in my head going, dude, if I catch two, two and a quarter pound largemouth, that gives me one and a half pounds total extra on my 12 and a half. That gets me to 14. 14 is a horrible bag, but 14 should keep me in the top 60, which is where I need to be to make the, now is that, am I going to make the cut? No, but if I don't upgrade, I'm not going to make not only a check, I'm not going to make the championship. So I went, I abandoned them. I did some large mouth. I caught, and I caught two, two and a half pounder. I caught a couple fish, like a two pounder, two and a quarter. And then I got a two and a half and I got another two and a quarter. And I got two and a half and I moved up to almost 15 and I got paid and I made the championship, but I think it's making those strategic decisions of what are the numbers in my head that I'm seeking. And just because you didn't weigh in 17 pounds again, doesn't mean it's a bad day. Are you looking at your overall goals? What's your goals of whether it's angler of the year, rookie of the year, whether it's making the championship, you know, all those, there's so many different things going on. And, and it's not just about going and catching the biggest bag every day of your life. Obviously that's, you know, you want to do that, but you also have to be really smart and look at what are my, options of what am i fishing for if i go for these kind of fish what is my odds or what are you know so anyway uh i'd love to fish both i think would be the perfect answer but i'm uh, probably at heart i'm a five fish guy Mm -hmm. sorry for the very long well i mean that's that's what you've done we love the off track answers (laughs) i'm i'm down with it um and and so are our listeners you're not you're not hurting anyone's feelings by by running on you're fine man thank you okay let's talk about um yeah, well, yeah. Just going back to it, you've you've played you've played the five fish game your whole time tournament fishing. Of course, right. you're going to be yeah. partial to that. Now, I think mm-hmm. that's going to be, and we've talked to a couple guys who are on the Bass Pro Tour, and and just we've uh, that's always a question you have to ask is like, how did you, how do you get used to that? You know, the that and they always say, well, it's just go out there and fish, and it, so I guess maybe it's a little bit 
less i mean it can't be less stressful it's got to be more stressful just different right yeah 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 so let's yeah. take it let's take it back let's take it back to california and yeah. let's let's talk about how you got started that how you get started uh bass fishing tournament bass fishing and then maybe you can talk about that uh how you do punching different than everybody else because i would love to hear that yeah so and i want to say this too i've realized this year um and i hopefully this gives an encouragement to a lot of people that are um just grassroots fishermen started you know from a kid walking the bank i realized more and more the advantage of coming from the West and, and specifically Northern California, um, more and more each day. I thought coming out here, I, I, I was, you know, before I had stepped foot out here this year, I had never made a cast East of Nevada until this year or technically in October because I came out for the championship. And so I had no clue how I was going to do or how, you know, how I could do back here. And I, and the more I look back at the season and in, in my opinion, I had a pretty good season. I cashed five or six checks, made the championship three top fifties. It was a, it, for a me, that was season. a phenomenal. Yeah, it was a, it was a, for my rookie year with zero experience, I was more than happy and, and not even a lot of experience out West outside of the Delta until two and a half years ago. So, but here's what I'll say. I'm realizing more and more each day that there is something to be said for anybody that's out there. I am the story of the guy who started from the bottom in regards to, um, I used to walk the banks, float to my grandpa had a houseboat. So I did grow up on my grandpa's houseboat, but my dad got me into fishing, but not bass fishing. My dad got us into trout fishing, striper fishing, you know, sturgeon fishing, all that kind of stuff. And that was great. So he introduced me to fishing, bass fishing. Me and my brother were basically, when I say self-taught, like we watched Bill Dance and Jimmy Houston, we'd go to my grandpa's houseboat and we'd throw Meps trout spinners for bass. And we had no clue what we were doing none. <laughs> and, uh, but I grew up bass fishing on my grandpa's houseboat off his little raft um, every three uh, every um, three days a week. So Friday after school, my grandparents would pick us up. From when I was three years old, my parents would take us or uh, let my grandparents take us at three years old all the way up until, I mean, until I got my, well, even after I got my first job, I'd still go up after that. But nine months a year, we were up at my grandpa's houseboat. And um, so I started there and then I'd walk the banks as a kid uh, along the Delta put a float tube in Holland track, go fish Contra Loma, walk the banks as a kid and just fishing from, and I had this conversation actually yesterday with talking to Chris Ball, just old Delta guy as well. Um, who's actually moved out to Alabama. We were just talking about this and how I think there's so much value. And then I started with a 15 foot Valco. Um, I fished my first tournament with the future pro tournament, uh, like 17 years ago. I, I was like 16, 17 years old out of a 15 foot Valco, 25 horse Yamaha with an ice chest. I love this. A bought an aerator system Kill and I, I, I want to say all this because i think more and more like i'm I, like i look at my story lately and i'm like my own self i keep looking back like wow is this really happening like this is this is what's going through my mind every the last every i've told this to my wife my friends i'm like dude i this is i'm not somebody special like i didn't grow up you know under the influence of a great fisherman i didn't grow up um you know, having all this knowledge, my parents didn't buy me a boat. I bought my first 15 foot Valco. I fished future pro. I think I took second out of it. Um, and then I got, everybody knows the old blue Ranger I had forever, 18 foot Ranger, 150 Yamaha with like 10,000 hours on it, probably or more, um, ran the Delta in that boat for shoot. How long did I have that boat for up until two and a half years ago? So for like 12 years, I ran a hundred. I mean, everybody that knows, knows the boat I used to run in. We call it Scarface or backwater blue, um, slow boat going 50 miles an hour, ran in the whole Delta. 
not special, not, I mean, I paid like five grand for that boat. So anybody out there that's listening to this, you know, and it's, you know, you look at me, especially social media these days, and you see all these guys and these fancy boats and all this stuff, and they do help. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that those things don't help, but I think there's something to be said about starting in that, that lifestyle of it's, you grow a deep passion for it. And I think there's the, this is what I was talking with Chris yesterday on the phone is there's actually something even greater that comes out of it. Not just the passion you have for the sport. And I think that's so much of the emotion you see on my videos, because I didn't just decide that when I was 17, that I wanted to bass fish and my parents, and I'm not knocking anybody that's parents buying the boat. I'm not, not even knocking this, but I'm saying for the people out there that aren't in this situation where their parents can buy them a boat and all the electronics and pay for all their tournaments and and it's not a problem don't be discouraged because there's something you get that nobody else can when you do that when you come up that way you you develop a true love a true passion again i I don't ever want to come off as knocking somebody that does it the other way i'm just i'm trying to encourage the people that doing it the that way which is maybe the harder way or the not is financially you know able to just go out and buy whatever and so but here's where i think you develop and it's a major thing. And I know Bobby talks about it a lot. Me and Bobby talk about it a lot, but I believe you develop instincts from your whole life of bass fishing or fishing or being in nature, walking the banks as a kid, seeing the crickets, the grasshoppers, the frogs, the tadpoles, all of that. What you, what I think don't think people understand is that your becomes your subconscious. When you get a feeling when you're fishing, and something tells you to do something and it's the hardest thing in the world in bass fishing is to listen to your gut when you have a game plan and it goes against your game plan. But I'm learning more and more and more the last couple of years, like that instinctual feeling, that's not random. That's my entire life built up of my subconscious picking up on things that I don't even always know that my conscious even sees, whether oh, it's weather and pattern, whether dude, it's whether goosebumps. I'm sorry. I've talked. I've talked about this exact thing. I'm sorry to interrupt you. You just no, gave no, me goosebumps. No. Please keep going. I love this. Yeah. So, so th- when you when and again, I think the more that you're in tune with nature, being in nature again, I credit that to walking the banks, dude. I remember hopping fences, fishing the canals in Antioch and Oakley at nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night with my brother, and and you and all of that. All of it, your whole life as a kid, when you think, yeah, you're just a kid out here fishing, but you, 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 there's things that you pick up on that you don't even know you pick up on. And then 20 years later, you're fishing tournaments and you have things inside of you that are telling you to do this or this or, you're, or, or oh my gosh, this ain't working. I'm not feeling this. Why aren't you feeling it? You don't even know why. A lot, a lot of times you can't even answer the question why. The answer is because that's your gut. That is your, your gut is your entire life of understanding nature subconsciously that you don't even always understand and it knows. And when you listen to it, you're listening to your instincts and you're more times than not, your instincts are always right. And I'll tell you where your instincts are always, always right. Very rarely, if ever, have I ever had that feeling like I'm dying, like, Oh my gosh, this ain't working. Like, you know, it's not happening. Whatever it is you're doing, you're flipping your fraud, whatever it is. I don't care. It could be an area or like I'm sand playing on that final day. I went four hours and I could not catch one. And I knew, I'm not going to, ca- I knew I was dying. I had two hours left. And if I continued on this path, I was done. It was over. I felt it. And I, and I'm sure other people get that feeling from time to time, or maybe a lot. I, I get it a lot. And what I've learned is when I get that feeling, the one certainty I know is if I continue down this path, I will fail. 
that's the certainty. Now, just because I make a move and do something different doesn't mean I'm going to catch him. But the only certainty is if I continue down this path, I will fail. And the reason I know that is because I've done it. I've done it for 15 years of tournaments where I've had that feeling sometimes and continue to do it because that's what I was supposed to do. That's what my game plan said. That's what I'm, uh, that's, you know, that's what I have to do. And I failed. Not one time can I look back. I'm not saying I failed every tournament, but I'm saying when I had that feeling and I continued on. So what I've learned is when I have that feeling, which is instincts, which comes from this whole child thing, your whole life of being on the water. One of the greatest things I think about, uh, I think there's a ginormous opportunity uh, arising in bass fishing, um, especially as the future goes on each year with people lacking instinctual, you know, that instinct because of electronics. Electronics are great. I think they're a huge part of the puzzle. I use them. I got five, 12 inch graphs, but, but. If you're coming out of college these days, like if you're a kid now and, and you're growing up bass fishing, it's because now the forward-facing sonar and 360 and side imaging, it's been out for a good amount of time. Now, if you're in high school now, that's all you know. And again, I'm not knocking it, but what I'm saying is you're coming out, all you know is to look at a screen. And what happens is you're not learning instinct. You're not, well, you're never looking at the bank. You're not looking at the cows. Are they standing up? Are they walking? Are the squirrels running up the bank? Are the butterflies flying? Are the frogs, are the turtles on top of the wood? Or are they, you don't see any turtles today. Are there fish? But because all of that, all nature coincides. I, I, uh, I'll never forget uh, last year. I think it was last year. I was at Lake Mead U.S. Open, and uh, I was so in tune with. And I've been more and more and more preaching this the last few years, and to myself, like, dude, I'm noticing that when I notice. Literally, it's, this stuff might sound crazy, but it's not. And it's actually a huge nugget if people actually paid attention. Dude, I noticed that, like, when squirrels and bees and the cows are moving, and I noticed that it's not just them; it's the fish. I noticed that. You know, all these things. So I remember I was at Mead last year and all of a sudden there was like a one, like a one mile an hour wind that came up, a little ripple on the water. I mean, one mile an hour, like you wouldn't almost even notice it if you weren't paying attention. And I noticed that when it came up, these, I think they were, I forgot what kind of shad they were. They were kept like boiling or like not boiling, but just coming to the surface. And all of a sudden I pulled out a Nico rig and I started smoking them at Lake Mead. Smoking them is a very rare word at Lake Mead because you start to catch a bass there, but and I started smoking them and it happened for like 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden that one mile an hour breeze stopped. And I go, and I told my co, I go, Oh my gosh, look, all those little shad dimples that are all around this pocket. They stopped instantly when the one mile, I'm talking about a one mile an hour. Like, th- like it was so subtle. You wouldn't have even noticed if you weren't paying attention. And then like 20 minutes. And then, and then as soon as it stopped, I could not get another bite. 20 minutes later, here it is again. Oh my gosh, you feel that the slightest breeze. And all of a sudden you start looking around and these little, these little, um, uh, you know, the, the shadow surfacing little, mm-hmm. you know, the little ring that surfaces. And then all of a sudden, bam, got him, bam, got him. And I go, Oh, did you see how that coincided to the T from the one mile an hour wind to the shad moving around to the fish biting? And then as soon as they shut down, fish shut down. As soon as 20 minutes later, it happened again, shad happened again, got bit. Like that kind of stuff is so critical. And I think that so many people miss that kind of stuff in it. In in the more you're in touch with nature and you're in touch with just that, that old, that old school mentality. And I think you have to be really careful. I think you got to learn how to use electronics and you got to pair it all. If you go all in on one or the other, I think you're hurting yourself. You got to use technology. I use four and sonar. I use 360. I use it all, but I also understand I want to go shallow and fish too. And I know when to do that and, and all that. So I think, I think you've got to be uh, one tip. I would say that you, there's, you got to be really careful if you're young coming up, is you need to know when to use and when not to use. And that goes from versatility when it comes to baits. I preach about all the time. And it also comes to electronics. When I need to be on my electronics all day, 
you know, looking at the forward facing sonar and all that stuff, or when I need to put that stuff away and be like the fisher on the bank, very less and less guys are going to know how to fish the bank moving forward because all of this technology to see offshore. And I think that creates an opportunity. I think it creates mm-hmm. um, people that love to fish the bank or that understand the bank there. It's going to give them more opportunity. But I think, again, you can't go all in on that. You got to have, you got to really play both sides of the coin and, and be wise about that. So anyway, that's how I started from the bank. Um, and then I got the old boat. Uh, and then, uh, and then I got the Skeeter and two years ago, two and a half years ago, I got the, uh, the, the ski- I got my new boat fully rigged it out. And that's when I decided that I'm going to fish outside of the Delta. Um, my goal was, I was said I wanted to have a five-year plan of my, my goal was I wanted to try to be, um, I don't ever want this to come off the wrong way, but I'm just being honest with you guys what my goals were. My goal was I wanted to be the best on the West in, in ang- win angler of the years on the two, on the, uh, on the Toyotas, the wild West and all that. I wanted to win at uh, a major prom at every major lake on the West, you know, clear Lake Shasta Delta. I've won a couple on the Delta, but, uh, in, in what, those are my goals. So I got the, the Skeeter. I started fishing outside the Delta. Um, and I had a pretty darn better than I expected two years. Um, I made like top 10 cuts at a lot of different places. Shasta, Havasu, Clear Lake a couple of times and whatnot. Your name was up there quite a bit in the last couple of years. Yeah, it, it, it was, it, and honestly, like it was, it was an amazing journey. Uh, just that short time on the West, be, um, I had no, I honestly did not have any clue i i just knew i could catch them on the delta because i fished the delta my whole life but like i had no clue and it worked out and 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 i only say that because if you go back to strategy versatility execution that's why is i think a lot of my success comes from the versatility there's almost nothing that i don't think i can't win on and i tell people that all the time and that's an advantage of coming from the west if you're coming from the west if you're thinking about could i make it on tour you you may think oh my gosh i got to compete against guys this was my thought six months ago, I got to go move back East and compete against guys on bodies of water. I've never seen in my life that make clear Lake look like your bathtub because they're so much bigger. Our fisheries out West are so small. Let's talk about the Delta. The Delta is really the only big fishery. They're so small. How am I going to break a lake down and fish against guys that have been out here their whole entire lives that have done the world? And what I learned very quickly is, is the versatility of coming from the West is a huge advantage. You can't, I, I, you can't replace that. And then understanding just what we're talking about, the things I'm talking about, a bass is a bass is a bass. So when you understand fish, there is a learning curve. I'm not going to say there's no learning curve. Like I've had a little bit of a learning curve when it came to smallmouth because I barely ever fished small. But my first smallmouth tournament, I cast a check and, and I learned. And I spent three weeks up there doing some practice. Um, but like, and there's a few things you can, but you, I feel like the learning curve stuff so far has been fairly quick and it hasn't hurt me too bad yet. Um, and I hopefully it won't. I feel like the few things that I, you know, regional things that you learn back here. But when it comes to versatility, I feel like most anglers back here don't have nearly the versatility as you have back home. And I've caught them and weighed and won money this year from so many different techniques, from five-pound tests, drop shots, Nico rigs, all the way up to, you know, giant toxic swim baits and grass and glide baits and punching and frogging and all of it back here. And most guys back here are not as versatile as a whole. And not trying to knock anybody or anything like that, but I'm just saying Ooh. that's an advantage. To Ooh, Phil told so, you guys. Just kidding. So, just so, kidding. Uh, so I would say um, again. Here I'm sidetracking, but um, but I, I, you know, it, it, from the West, going back to what we were talking about in the West, is I think what even showed my own self is this is really the formula for me: uh, is strategy, versatility, execution and minor details on everything like becoming a freak on 
everything. And, and the more you get in the details, it's the little things that separate the Tom Brady's from everybody else. It really is at the end of the day. Um, so, so anyway, I'll, I'll pause for a minute and let you guys redirect no, me. I, no, I, I absolutely, we absolutely love that. I have preached since day one when Joel started this podcast. I've talked about the little details. I said they make all the difference. You know, it's the guy that checks yep. that checks his hook points, that checks his knots, that checks, you know, yep. the first 12 inches of his line, whatever, you know, just the little details. Make sure your drag set right. If you're throwing a frog, you know, yep. make sure your drag's yep. cranked all the way, not a couple clicks back. All the all the little stuff, you know. <clears throat> um right. I love that part of it. I lo- dude, I just I I love listening to you talk about fishing because your passion literally just shines through. Like oh, this is not you. something you can script. Um I've got a couple questions, but getting back to Joel still, because everybody loves it. We're still at that time of year, and you are, you know, one of the greatest to ever fish the Delta. There's no question. I can say that whether you agree or not. You absolutely everybody knows you are. Well, thank we, you. Thank you. We gotta get you to talk a little bit about punching. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah, talk about me. punching. Because and most and Give up what you're comfortable giving up. Obviously, anything you don't want to. But a lot, you know, a, a, a lot of the Delta guys we talk to, a lot of them have. A lot of them, you know, they they just don't give any info that's going to really help somebody. Like, what can you give that's going to truly help somebody? The 16 year old kid that's out there in his kayak or 12 foot aluminum boat that's going to help him learn to punch on the Delta and and or wherever uh, you're punching. And yeah, and like and like you said, Phil, like the you you say you do it a, a, quite a bit different than a lot of guys. I'd love to hear about yeah, that. Yeah, and, and I'm, yeah, so, um, yeah, I love, man, punching is my number one favorite way to catch them. Uh, I love catching them, doing everything. I really do, but uh, I don't go anywhere without a punch rod, anywhere. Uh, I will have a punch rod at the St. Lawrence River in my in my uh, rod locker, even though I'm going to be probably drop shotting and net rigging the entire tournament, but I will not go anywhere without that punch rod with me because it's, it's my favorite way to catch them, and I found you can catch them all over the country, even though there's not as much, uh, back here to punch in most fisheries. Um, I did punch them at uh, the James River. That's how I caught every one of my big fish on day one yeah. uh, up there. But but uh, but um, and you can punch in South Florida and you can punch on Gunnersville. But there's not um, is the Delta is the greatest punch fishery in the country, bar none. Like there's you thought you know Ish will tell you the same thing. He's been a million more places than I have. But um, here so here's here's my theory on punching. First, it starts with the tackle. Um, and again, I, re- I hope I didn't come off wrong earlier when I said, it, cause I, I really don't ever want to come off as like, I'm not a cocky person. I'm not, arrogant. I'm very passionate and I love to help people. So I always tell people too, like, whatever I say, you can take it to the bank that it's the truth. My faith is number one and I cannot lie. So I tell people all the time, if I tell you something, it is the truth. If I will never lie, I will sometimes opt not to tell people. So and there are all sometimes I can tell people, look, I'm not going to tell you yep. because I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not trying to be rude. But so if I tell you something, it's definitely true. I don't want to come off cocky. I hope I didn't sound that earlier when I, when I made the punching comment, but I'm, I'm trying not to get people. To, okay. Yeah. I'm trying to get people to think of, of why do you think what you're doing is the best landing ratio? And if you don't give me hard data, then you're just, you're just making a subjective uh, argument and it's not true data. So, I'll start with this. Like I always tell people, if you're not over 97% punching in hydrilla, LED, or milfoil, I think your punching ratios are too low. And and now, if anybody told me that, so like, <laughs> let me reverse, love it. Let, let me reverse this. Let me reverse the script. If I'm, it, uh, for instance, uh, wacky rigging on when it comes to hook and all that, I'm that's still <laughs> I've battled with for years. 
I'm still 75 or 80 percent, maybe even a little bit higher, but I'm not where I want to be on a, on certain wacky rigging techniques. And so for me, I'm open-minded until I get it, it higher than if there's somebody else there that that claims to have a higher percentage than me, then I'm open-minded. Now, so I, my mind becomes closed when I don't know anybody else that has a higher punch ratio or whatever, frog or whatever it is, right? And that's how everybody should be with anything. So when somebody says is a 50% landing ratio and that's just what it is, and somebody else, if, somebody, if I said that and somebody came to me and says, hey, Phil, just so you know, I'm like 75%, my mind is wide open. Talk to me. Talk to me, right? Hey, because Phil, if I'm 50 and you're – yeah. Really quick, when you talk about um, the punching ratio, are you talking about fish landed once you hook them or bites landed? Yeah, so uh, so most of the time I'm talking about uh, landing ratio. So from landing – from uh, hook to in the boat. I hooked it. My rod okay. loaded up. Is it in the boat? Um very, I, you know, the only time I really miss fish on the Delta punching, um, and maybe that has to go with my rod and reel too. I don't really very rarely have a problem of getting bit and then setting and nothing. So the only time that happens is sometimes in the dead of summer. Um, and most of the time that happens, I get even annoyed when that happens, but I found most of the time when that happens, it's usually like the dead of summer or maybe early, early fall. And when I do hook one and I get it in, it's like a seven inch or which is very rare, but those right. are the times where sometimes, but, but I don't, so here's my theory. Let's, let's go into it. So let me, and let me say this. So when I talked about hydrilla milfoil Elodea, you, in my opinion, you should be about 90 over 95%. Now, if you're punching primrose, that is the one that, uh, to this day, you, you're, you're, it's definitely going to be lower. And that is because you have a, uh, basically a chain attached to the ground that does not break when your braid cuts it. Okay. So that what happens is your hook, especially when you punch 90% of the time you punch, you hook them somewhere towards the front of the mouth. You have the hook that's sticking out and it grabs on a primrose and then it creates leverage and then they can get off. And I would love to go deeper in this on the frog. Remind me to go frog because I figured something out and I will share it. And Bobby Barrick has the best frog out there and, and there's a, there's science behind it. And I would love to talk about that even more than the punching, but, um, but with his new frog, but anyway, uh, going back to punching. So absolutely. Agree if on you're the punch- frog, by the way, yeah, and there's science, and I would love to talk about it because I like I'm I'm blown away with it. But um, or I say science, I don't know if it's if that's the proper word, but there's a I'll, I'll go into the depth of that if you want. But anyway, so going to punching, if you're punching primrose, your ratios will be lower than Elodea milfoil hyacinth or hydrilla. If you're punching hydrilla, Elodea, like on the delta, it's pretty much Elodea. It's not we don't really have hydrilla out there. We call it hydrilla, but it's Elodea. But anyway, if you're punching that and you're eighty percent. And I'm just telling you, you can be higher. And, and, and that's, in my opinion, and I think with lots of data, but I don't want to come off as arrogant or anything, the, I think 97% of punch rods on the market are way too stiff and way too fast, and people lock their drags down, and I think it's the worst thing you can do. In my opinion, and again, this is with lots of data, I punch, I don't know anybody that punches more than me, I'll say that. I punch just as much as anybody. It's my favorite way to catch them. I got five punch rods rigged all the time. I love to do it. Um, I punch with a way more parabolic rod than probably anybody I know. Um, I have it every time I set the hook, my drag slips, which is what I want. And I use, um, and I, and so I use a more parabolic rod and I do not lock my drag down. And the reason is because think about this. When you set the hook on a fish, dude, today we live in a time where the hooks are so darn sharp. How many times do you hook a punch fish and you didn't even know you hooked it and it's hooked and you catch it. Mm -hmm. You didn't even have to set those. And I crack them like, 
I crack them. I hit them real hard. I love hitting them. Every, you know, most guys in my boat are like, dude, I've never seen somebody say that. So I love to hit them. But you don't even have to. The, the hooks are so darn sharp these days. And I use a Gamagatsu heavy cover. I do not use a super heavy cover. I know most guys like the super heavy, but, I, but anyway, I'll say this. So I, the way, the reason is once that hook goes past the bar, which is actually very easy for that to happen, any extra force, you are now causing a hole. If your drag does not give and your rod does not give, what is giving, especially in an instantaneous hook set, the fish, you will the move fish. the fish. Yeah. But, in an in, but, but before you move that fish instantaneously, you budge that hook forward and create a bigger hole in their mouth. You, I mean, how many times do you bring a punch fish in and it flops right off where you look like, dude, it's gaping hole? Yeah. That's because everything is so locked down and so tight. Something has to give, right? Something has to give. And he can't move as fast as when you hit him with that initial hit. You can't move a fish as fast as it's going to tear before he moves. So, and, so, and, and then, and I'll say this on every technique, once you have hooked a fish, once you've hooked him, I don't care if it's a crankbait, a 12-inch swimbait, uh, punch, you name it, five bait, I don't care, whatever it is. Once you have hooked the fish, you want the longest, most parabolic rod you can possibly have in all things. And the 100%. reason is because, and, and so, so y- the longer the rod gives you that much more parabolicness the rod has, which means if he jumps or comes towards you, the rod continues to stay loaded, right? So, so, so when you have a fast rod, most of these rods I see that are punch rods, they're broomsticks, brooms. So you set the hook, if you're, if, if you're lucky enough to not already create a giant hole in the fish and he comes off, now, as you're pulling him in, when you're pulling him, he's flopping across the water coming in. Your rod is going to go limp way quicker than a parabolic rod by nature. And then when it goes limp is when that hook, that weight falls and does this and whatever. And that's why most people lose in all techniques. More fish are lost at or near the boat than they are from farther away from the boat. Mm-hmm. And that's because the closer you get to the boat, the less stretch you have in your line, a.k.a. that falls under the parabolic theory right the the less parabolicness now is in your rod the less available drag you have so all those things is why you lose fish and i learned all this through striper fishing striper fishing taught me how to fight big swim bait fish and all these trouble hook things and i'm like dude how come whenever i fight these 20 pound striper, you can't horse a 20 pound striper and it's going to straighten your hooks right so so when i when i you know i love striper fishing and when i catch all these stripers i'm like dude i can go out there and catch 20 pound stripers and fight them for 15 minutes on a trouble hook and not lose them and that's because I have to fight him. I have to loosen my drag and let him run. And then I, whatever. And so that's, and then, and then the parabolicness on. So I learned so much of, of execution through stripers and catching bigger fish a lot and learning that, um, you know, the hooks and all that. But so that's in, in, in that's how I punch. I use an eight foot parabolic rod, very parabolic. I have a picture actually, uh, that I just sent to a rod maker that's, uh, it's a picture of my rod loaded up and it even blows my mind away how parabolic it is in this picture. You'd be like, dude, somebody told me the other day, like, dude, that looks like a crankbait rod. Now, granted, it's an eight foot rod. It's a stiffer rod, but it's, but it, the parabolicness of it is, is unbelievable. And then again, the drag, I, every time I want my drag to go Zip, when I set the hook every time, because all I need is that hook to get in and it doesn't take much. And after that, I want all, I don't want any excess pressure after that is creating a hole. And then and are, are you then are are you sorry sorry to interrupt but are you then are you, you then go. thumbing your drag your drag? If no, you if I you need really that extra if you need that extra to pull it out of somewhere are you are you tightening the drag or are you thumbing it or is it tight enough? No, I to mean, where that's not an issue. 
It, no, it's tight enough where, like, it's, it, it's tight enough where I've never had it where, like, that's an issue. Um, if I have to pull that hard, I'm usually going to go in and get them. Like, if I have to pull that mm-hmm. hard. Because mm-hmm. even if it's coming and it's, and it's wrapped in a bunch of grass, I'm not going to, I'm going to pull hard enough. I don't want, the harder you pull, again, remember that hook wants, you know, you don't want to rip that hook out. So, um, so I, like, yeah, but when I have it where I, with one hand, without wrapping it around my hand, without two hands, I can grab my drag and pull it out like a, a nice pull. It'll come right. So with one hand, I don't have to wrap it around my hand and do all that. And it comes again, when I set the hook, you, and then just a little bit, but that's what you want because that's preventing the, the tear in his, in his, in his lip or his throat right. or whatever. Wherever. Okay. Don't so, be an overachiever. Yeah. And again, I set the hook hard, but I make up for it with the drag. I can set it as hard as I want. My drag is going to give, in that instant shock. And so I'm good. And my rod is more parabolic. And then I've hooked him. My whole rod's doubled over instead of just the first eight inches of the rod and the rest of it being a broomstick. That is, that is a big no, no. And that's for every technique, right? Like in theory, again, now I'm, I'm like, I'm saying once you've hooked the fish, so different techniques require different types of rods and lengths of rods to get, whether it's a single hook or a mini bitty treble hook or a, you know, different styles and sizes of hooks. But once you, in theory, once you've hooked a bass, you want the most parabolic, longest rod you possibly can to, 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 to raise your landing ratio, right? So, so mm-hmm. always think that once I've hooked them, is my rod parabolic enough to, and, and again, I tell people test it. I mean, this is what I've spent 17. And again, I'm not, and I'm perfect. You know, somebody goes and watches, goes, Oh, I saw Phil lose, you know, uh, I lost two big punch fish or one big punch fish at Gunnersville on that day one, which I stuck. It was in Primrose. And like I said, Primrose are a, Primrose are a, they're a they're a they're a beast and that's because they're a cable that doesn't break away and and so and i've dude i've had conversations with ken ma and all kinds of people hours we've talked about this stuff trying to figure out how to up our landing ratio in primrose and sometimes i can go 10 for 10 sometimes you go 8 for 10 sometimes you go 5 for 10 in the primrose and uh and that's that's a that that's its own that's its own category but if you're punching hyacin elegia all the other stuff you should be losing very, very few, very few fish. Hey, Phil. In my opinion. On your punch hooks, are you typically, now I'm sure some of it might depend on which bit you're throwing, but typically are you a 4-aught, 5-aught, 6-aught type of guy? Because uh, nobody talks about their exact punch hook, you know? Uh, I'm a 3-aught, 4-aught, depending Ooh, on what I'm doing. 3-aught, 4-aught, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, nobody punches. Yeah. It's, dude, it's it's cr- it's crazy like, what you're you know, you're talking. I love that. It's crazy what you're talking about, Phil. Because I mean, I don't really talk a whole lot about how I fish, but like a lot of what you're talking about, that's. I mean, I I think it's not because I want to like up my ratio, but I always feel like I have to have a little bit of drag out if you're fishing. I feel like mm-hmm. locking drag down just feels it doesn't feel normal to me. Maybe because I grew up yep. fishing trout and things like that, where the drag is like that's the thing. I like a little you bit. Of, I like a little bit of drag. You know, I like a little bit of drag so, there for the fish. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you this on my swim baits, people freak out. I have my drag. Uh, I have my drag so loose after I hook them. So I'll I'll use a very medium drag, just enough to get the troubles in. I'm talking about big you know, 10 inch glides and big toxic baits and stuff like that. So big trouble hooks, you know, size one, one odd, three X hooks, two X hooks. As soon as I hook, my drag is definitely not locked when I hook them, but it'll be a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more, you know, there's a little bit more drag once when I hook it. If second I hook it, I spin that drag so loose that many, 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 many times, maybe 30, 40% of the times I put it so loose that when I try to reel, 
nothing comes in because it's completely at zero and I have to actually click it up a notch or two because it's so loose. And I'm going to tell you something when I like, uh, uh, I weighed a lot of big ones in the last couple of years on swimmers on the Delta and my landing ratio is out of control. My, I lost one fish all last year on a swimmer. Um, and, it, and that was the, that one I hooked for two seconds and it came off immediately. It just didn't eat it right or whatever. But every other hook I fish, I hooked on a, a swimmer up to nine. I think I had two nines. Um, I weighed and dude, they get to the boat and this is where most guys lose them. Trouble hooks, eight foot rod, you know, mm-hmm. big fish. Mm-hmm. And he wants to dig. My drag is so loose. He went under the boat on the other side of the boat, but because I have a parabolic rod and a loose drag, like a crankbait, I, I was able to land that fish. And I promise you like 90% of people, if you have, well, anybody, even myself, and my drag was tighter. There's no doubt in my mind. I lose most of those fish at the boat because when they start doing the last head shakes and make the last run, there's no, there's nothing, you know, you've, you've absorbed all the line. Uh, there's nothing there. And so when he shakes, you're, you're, he's going to come off, but I have my drag so loose and it's a hor- It's a very hard way to fish. If you've never done it again, what helped me with stripers, if I yeah. didn't catch thousands of stripers, I would have not, it would have been the, it's the hardest thing in the world because everybody else on swim base, they say lock your drag down real as fast as you can. Use a stiff rod and you better boat flip that sucker and get him in there first try. I'm the opposite. I actually fight him and it's very, it's a very odd concept and, and it can be frightening, but I've learned that as much as I'm frightened when I'm fighting him, because it takes me a lot longer to get the fish in the net, but I learned over and over again that like, I don't lose them when I do this. Yeah. So like it's, it's mm-hmm. hard because you've got grass and everything all around. And then all of a sudden you're fighting the fish, he's peeling line and, and you're like, Oh my God. And then, but you're like, I don't lose them. And then when you tighten it up and you try to horse them in is when you lose them. Um, and so again, that, I, I have that same concept and theory on everything I do, uh, as a overall, each technique is a little different on the rod and whatever, but in, in regards to drag and, and all that, it's a, a parabolic rod. Like I, my rod flexes all like probably two thirds. Uh, so well more than halfway down the rod where right. it's still bending before it mm-hmm. locks up in 99% of punch rods or 95% of punch rods. I see after eight to 10 inches, they're like darn near locked up. And, and, and I just, I just, in my opinion, and again, I think data driven, uh, <clears throat> when you talk to a lot of people and they look at their ratio, true ratios. And I don't want to hear like, like when I talk to people and myself included, I, I, I can't give you data until I can tell you, yeah, I hooked a hundred and, I landed, you know, 93, 95, now whatever it is. Don't just say, "Oh yeah, I have a good landing ratio." And and I say all this not, again to help people. Like this is how you should be examining are your ratios as high as they should be, right? And right. and perfecting them. And again, there's no such thing as a hundred. There's no such thing as a hundred percent. It's it's it is a creature that's trying to get away. So there's going to be you're going to lose some. But right. I think you 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 I think more people lose fish and they always just chalk it up to that's bass fishing. And I'm like, well, if you're 60 percent and somebody else, I don't care if it's me or anybody else, and somebody else is 80 all the time, then it's not bass fishing. It's you. You can be at least 80. If that guy's 80 and he's 80 with with data, then you should be 80 or whatever the you know number is. So I, I Dude, think so I, many people overlook. I I absolutely love this. And just a quick story to back up what you're saying. I'm, I'm I mean, and I I don't think anybody would question it because you are where you are for a reason. <clears throat> but I you know. On our deep motherload reservoirs, I, I am a jig fisherman through and through. I love to throw a jig. And my mindset on a jig is a little bit different than everybody else's from the way I set the hook to um, the rod I use. And just like you said, I, I like a more parabolic rod. When we were out on Champlain with our guide, Ryan, who is a phenomenal fisherman, I mean, his he's got a great tournament record on that lake. Like He's grown up there. 
And by the end of the day, we started talking jig fishing. And he goes, I want to ask you your opinion on something because like on my shallow water jigs, heavy rod, he said, big hook. I don't lose them, whatever. You know, I, I put them in the boat. He said, but the last few years I've been throwing a lot of deeper jigs and he goes, and I'm using the same rod. He goes, I've got a flipping stick. You know, I've got, I've got 20 pound test. He goes, I'm, I'm running braid to a leader. He goes, and I'm cracking them hard, big hook and I'm losing them. And I said, bud, when you're out there in that deeper water, I said, go to a more parabolic rod. I said, throw like a seven, six medium, heavy, you know, moderate action, like a yeah. heavy crankbait rod. Almost. I said, go to straight fluorocarbon. I said, real, yeah. I, I said, real down, get tight on them. Just, j- just, just turn on them. Don't hit them hard. Just like a Carolina rig set. I said, and downsize your hook from that five aught to a three aught jig, yeah. just a standard wire. And I literally got a message from him like two weeks ago going, dude, I, I tried what you said. He goes, and I'm putting like 90% of them in the boat. And that's it, what I'm talking it, about. It works. You don't need, man, you don't need that stuff. I, I love what you're saying because nobody out there talks about it and it works. And just like you, I'm, I'm, this is trial and error. I, I you know, this is guiding five days a week. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's not my opinion. This is what works. Data. We, we, data. we, yes. Bro, Ryan, Ryan, we talk about it because you well yes and it's it's funny i go out i go out fishing with people or i talk to people about fishing and they say oh man i want to and the guys who say they went out with ryan once and they're like i just wanted to learn how to fish jigs every one of those guys i've never had a guy say i just i I couldn't get it and these are these are honest guys these are guys who would just straight up tell me like hey he's full of shit that doesn't work but he like they every single one of them i'm like yeah, I mean, it, it does work, what he's saying. And it's not by the book. Yeah. So that's the thing. It, and It's not what the book tells you. I'm curious, though. I, I went out earlier this year. It was I don't throw a lot of big baits. Ryan, Me and Ryan both don't throw a lot of big baits. But um, I was I was going out to a place near home, and I was like, I'm, I'm just going to throw them for a while. I'm going to throw them for a couple hours and, and see what happens. And I was able to hook three. Um, I got I got – I landed two. And one got off, and I thought the one that got off was because my my drag was too loose. And what you're telling me is, I mean, and that, that fish came up uh, about 30, 40 feet from the boat and spit the bait. Um, and my drag was, real, like, pretty loose. Like, where, where you're talking about, where I was, where I'm reeling, and I'm not getting much. And yeah. then that fish came up and spit it. So I'll, I'll say this, um, you know, it, 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 you got to analyze everything because I, two years ago I went to a, a like a, a pure glass, uh, heavy glass rod, and I was trying to throw my wake baits on that. My buddy was playing around with it, and he, and he was talking about it. So I'm like, oh, let me try. So I went out, and what I and that is ultra parabolic. It's glass, right? So it goes all the way through. And I learned that I was actually losing them because not because it was too parabolic. But, and this is the other, what I was talking about earlier is, is it was, it wasn't stiff. There's a difference between how fast and how stiff and how parabolic, right? There's, there's different concepts here. Parabolic mm-hmm. is how far the rod flexes down the rod. Not necessarily, you can have a ultra light parabolic rod and you can have an extra heavy parabolic rod in regards to how, right? When you, when you push that, you know, if you have an ultra light parabolic rod and you wiggle in your hand, it, the whole rod will probably shake. If you have an eight foot flipping stick that's parabolic, it's not going to shake in your hand a wiggling rod, right? But it's still when you bend the rod, where does it flex you? So the problem when I went to that glass rod is it's not that it was too parabolic, it was too soft. 
So I was never getting a good hook in them, and that mm-hmm. could be it too. So, you know, like that. So that's where you got to find, okay, I, I need the parabolicness um, and really everything uh, across the board, but how stiff of a rod do I need to get that hook in the fish? And, and I, want a, I want as soft a rod as I can, and, and oh, the parabolicness never changes. I always want parabolic, but I want the softest rod I can as well, but it's got to be stiff enough depending on what technique to get that. Like, for instance, you can't throw a frog on a crankbait rod because you'll never get the hooks in right like flat out like you're not so it's parabolic and i love bobby's uh i haven't thrown his new frog rod but his newer one that's not the eye rod the tackle tech rod Mm -hmm. is the best frog rod i've ever used and it took me forever to find it's a seven nine but it's mega soft people are like dude that's that's really soft and i'm like yeah it's perfect and he nailed it i don't i don't know about his new eye rod but um that was a that was a that, that 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 rod that bobby came out with the he he really got that one right. Um, when, but, when I moved, uh, when I moved, yeah. uh, I felt the buzz bait a lot. When I moved up, and I've talked to those before, but when I moved to a heavier rod with braid, because I, I was fishing a lot of lakes, and so I was fishing a medium heavy with sixteen pound flora on a buzz bait, which isn't out of control on a you know uh, spotted bass fishery, and I did, I'd never lost a fish like. Boom, boom, boom. It was like they just gave just enough. It was fine. I feel like I went to, when I went to the Delta, I was like, I got to beef everything up. So I beefed up to a heavier, a heavy rod with 40 pound braid. And I started, and I could not, I'm missing tons of bites. And you're saying on what technique? A buzz bait. Oh, on a buzzer. Okay. And I, I don't know if it was just I, I, I trying to set too soon or not. That fish was not getting it. Or it was just too much, like I said, just too much ripping. Dude, I, so you were missing them or losing them, you were saying? I was missing it, just missing them completely. And then if they were on for a couple seconds, they were gone. So I would, if I'm not, and the first thing I tell you is go to a, a softer rod. I throw a 7.6, very soft hip rod to the point where it blew my mind away. Sometimes I'm like, um, even on the buzz frogs, uh, I use such a soft, su- because on a buzz frog, um, like you're thinking, dude, I got two frog hooks. I, you'd be shocked at how soft a tip I throw on it. it. Blows my own mind away. Like it's like a four power rod. Um, but here's the thing: when you use the two stiff rod, especially on a buzzer, and it's moving, and they come up to get it, and they come up to get it, and usually once they get it, they turn. But if your rod is too stiff, and you're just if you're hooking them, most of the time you're barely hooking them on the on the on the just on the outside or on the right on the inside of the mouth, and you're nicking them, and your rod is too stiff, you're pulling it away from them. They don't get to eat it like it's you know like a popper or a frog where it's in place, and they get to smoke it and turn on it. They're eating it as it's moving. So you need a soft rod to give it to them. So again, remember the hook setting part these days. The hooks are so sharp, they're so thin, they go in yeah. most of the time. You never even need it for the hook. So I would tell you flat out um, on the buzzer. Oh, and this was a big, the buzz bait is, is something that when I, when that clicked about eight, nine years ago, when I, when I adjusted to a softer rod, I started hooking way more and landing everything. And it used to be the same thing. I'd get so many misses, miss, miss, or, or boom, rod doubles over off, boom, rod doubles over off. And it's because my rod was too stiff. So I throw a, um, a, you know, a seven, six and it's a, and, um, and you can even throw, I mean, you, you can get into the, like, uh, St. Croix. I love, they came out with, um, and I am sponsored by them, and that's another story. I always said I would never probably be sponsored by a rod company because I'm so meticulous per rod, per technique. And the only reason I went with St. Croix is because they offer a massive lineup of rods, and they offered, and before I, I made sure I looked at all their rods, 
Um, they have a massive line of parabolic glass, uh, and then they have a lot of the blended carbon uh, glass blends. So they offer a huge assortment of parabolic rods, whether they're glass or carbon or both. Um, and they, so I throw, um, I throw a, a, a seven, six rod that it's very soft tip. Um, very like, you, again, it's like mind blowing to myself sometimes, um, how soft it is, but you don't miss them and lose them. So I would tell people the first thing you would try if you're happy, you're missing them, especially like on a buzzer or something like that. Um, go to a softer rod and tr- test it out. Right. Yeah. And then you'll be like, Oh my gosh, like it blew, that's just how it blew my mind. Cause I'm thinking, dude, there's no way I'm going to get the hook in them. Soft. This is the Again, se- not glass. I wouldn't throw. I wouldn't throw it on glass. I would not throw it on glass. Um, uh, but I would definitely throw it on a softer carbon or graphite um, seven six rod. Uh, and again, it's because you're moving. You have a mo- a constant moving bait. And and because think about it, right? When they hit a plopper, they usually don't miss it because a plopper you got trouble hooks, so they don't. They, mm-hmm. they, they, they yeah. get them all over the place. And again, I still use a soft rod. I actually do use a glass rod for my ploppers. That I do use a glass rod. But you, you hook way more because the hooks are on the bottom and there's six of them. And it doesn't matter how they hook it. When you're trying to hook them on top with one hook and the bait is moving and they got to get their mouth over the top of it and, and turn and you're moving it forward all in the, that split second, you're, you're, you're minimizing your odds unless you soften that rod that allows him to get split extra second to get that bait in his mouth without you pulling it out. You're reeling. And then if your rod's tip at the same time, you're reeling. And the second it tries, you're pulling it out of his mouth as he's trying to get it in his mouth. So mm-hmm. um, I would tell you to go to a softer rod. I'm going to I'm gonna take your advice finally. I've had, I think you're the second person we've had on that's just like, I think you were, you were right the first time. You were doing it right the first time. And then you scaled up for the Delta and then trying to use that other places. or It's it just, I, I don't care where you're at. If, if you can't hook that fish, what's it matter if you can't get it out of the weeds? I mean, you can always go in there and go after it, right? So, And I have learned more and more and more and more. You can pretty much always get them out of the weeds, um, even when you think you can't. It's more of a fear than it is reality. Reality is go out there on a practice day. Go out there on a practice day and hook a fish, and even on a treble hook, and let that sucker run in the weeds and keep some tension on it and watch what happens when you don't yank and pull on it. And, uh, and I learned... I, I learned that actually a guy commented on one of my, on one of my videos I posted the other day. He goes, yeah, uh, I think his name was Oscar. He fished with me two years ago as a, he was my co at Clear Lake. And dude, I had, I was throwing a pointer 70, what do they call that? 79, 72 or whatever it is. It's a small pointer, lucky draft pointer, um, on a spinning rod, six pounds at Clear Lake. And, uh, I hooked a five and a three and a half on an MLF or FLW day two. I made the cut. Those two fish are two of the three most memorable fish catches of my life in regards to stress. I, number six treble hooks, clear like six pound test spinning rod, uh, itty bitty troubles on itty bitty bait. And I fought a five and a three and a half. And he was my co was my witness. And I fought that fish for so long. It went into a cheese mat under the boat on the other side of the boat in a cheese mat where it was completely buried where I didn't even know if the fish was on no movement. Cause it was buried in a cheese mat. Number six treble hooks, like itty bitty little micro hooks, two fish, back to back and i fought him for probably like three minutes think about how long a three-minute fight in is i mean that's forever that's and it long, got in the weeds time. oh dude forever and it it got in the weeds buried in the in the cheese couldn't feel it. then it came out on the other side of the boat and i never lost those fish and i had my drag so loose i never pulled and even when i couldn't feel the fish when i'm like is there even a fish on it's completely buried and i dug in there i didn't even get it out i dug in there and then it, i dug in there enough where it, it came out but i still didn't hook and i had to fight it so I've learned more and more and more um, 
if you, the, you know, I'm not saying you're never going to lose the fish, but I think you lose way more fish in all situations, even on a Delta in heavy grass when you're trying to pull on them versus, versus I'm not saying sit there and open your bail and let them swim around, but I'm saying just don't pull so fast and so hard. I mean, get them in the boat, but, but you don't have to just reel as hard as you can, as fast as you can. The fish is flip flopping all over the place. And you're like, I, I rather a fish swim and pull drag and get in the weeds, even though it's a very frightening thought, than me try to hold, hold him out of the weeds and then he either breaks off or, or uh, pulls off or whatnot. So, and again, this is just through a lot of fish memories I can go through and, and testing it. And like, and it's so hard because your instinct wants to reel that fish in right now, like get him in the boat right now. Oh, but yeah. you lose, especially you lose when you're fish. in a tournament situation, right? Your adrenaline is oh, flowing fish. even more. You got money on the line. Everybody wants to rush it. You know, they just freak out. They just Absolutely. freak out. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, no. If our listeners out there are paying attention, really, and if you haven't, go back and listen to this one again. I, I will tell you from the bottom of my heart, 100% honesty. I, I can't speak for Joel, but I would think he'd agree with me. This is the most informative episode we have ever recorded hands oh, down this is I, my personal opinion on fishing what you have given these people pay attention to this this is absolute gold right now machine gun dutra just I've tons got, of great information <laughs> i've got uh, one more question for you go for it go and obviously all across the country doesn't matter with your take on, because man, there you know, there's a lot of guys. Everybody throws a chatterbait. Everybody loves. Most people love a chatterbait. I don't have a ton of confidence in it, but that's just because of where I fish most of the time. Um, what's your chatterbait setup? I love to hear yeah, this because it's a year-round deal. I, I, what kind of rod? What kind of reel speed? What kind of line? How do you swing on them? All that good stuff. Just give them the goods on a cool. chatterbait. Yeah, it's, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. This is cool too because. I got a learning lesson uh, that upped my chatterbait game this year in, in regards to that. So I very rarely had an issue um, losing chatterbait fish really my whole life, honestly. Um, I, don't, I don't really lose them, never really had. Um, but I'm going to give you a story because this is really cool, and this goes down to it. So I, um, I've i always used a 7.6 um, gr- uh, carbon or graphite rod that was pretty parabolic. Um, and then this, so I, I really like, um, so I started using this, uh, seven, four St. Croix legend tournament glass rod. I love it. Um, I do not lose them when I hook them on that rod, <clears throat> but here's the, here's the catch. I've actually realized I have to have two chatterbait rods. And I know this, like I don't know, some people, they don't want to, I'm just telling you, if you want the highest percentages, I have two chatterbait rods for different scenarios. And this, and I learned it this year. It cost me some money. Um, but now that I know I carry both in my boat at all times and I use them for different things too, not just chatterbaits. But if I am throwing a chatterbait, casting it, reeling it in, and I'm throwing it through, especially if you're, um, you know, fishing docks, rocks, uh, you know, whatever it is, that's not ripping it out of, of grass. I love a glass rod. I personally use, like I said, the seven, four tournament legend, um, it's a medium heavy, uh, St. Croix rod. I love that rod for casting it out and reeling it in. You hook them, dude, your, your landing ratio is about as high as you can possibly be. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's a glass rod. I was using that rod, uh, this year at Harris, Lake Harris or Harris chain of lakes on the two, second tour event. And I was a good tour event. I top 50. 
I lost a very big fish on day one. Uh, I cast it out and I was letting the chatterbait hit the bottom. It was early in the year. So the grass was, uh, not topped out or anything. It was like on the bottom and I was letting it fall to the bottom. And then I was kind of pumping it. I wasn't really steady retrieving it. And I, the first fish I lost, it ate it on the fall. And I was like, dude, that was weird. And I could ate it on the fall. And I lost it because my rod was too spongy with a single hook when it's not moving in motion. So, because it was falling straight, right? So when it's moving in motion, you have momentum, right? It eats it. You already have leverage and momentum going. And the gra- in, the, in my opinion, the glass rod is phenomenal for hooking them on that medium heavy glass rod. I love it. And longer is better. Um, what I realized is I st- when I was pumping it and they were eating it on the fall, I have to use a graphite rod. I have to, because you, you're, when they're eating it on a pump, if you're in that situation or, and then the one thing about graph too, which is the, uh, the downside of glass is if you're fishing. So if you're on the Delta and you're, you're ripping it through grass all the time, um, I, I would go to a carbon rod or, you know, graphite, carbon, whatever. But, um, because when you glass won't allow you to rip it clean, but if you're not fishing, if you're not fishing, um, uh, grass, so if you're up at clear, lake and just don't a chatterbait around docks or rocks or whatever. And how many guys dude, my whole life, I didn't really honestly, I never have this issue, but I've always used a softer rod. How many guys are like, God, oh, it's getting short striked on the chatterbait. I'm just missing them on the chatterbait. When you're, when you're casting it out and retrieving it, especially if you're not ripping it through grass, go to a softer glass rod, not, you know, I, this, again, the one I'm using is this, just so people know is the seven, four medium heavy tournament legend, St. Croix. It's not a very expensive rod. I think it's like 200 and 200 bucks. It's not like mega expensive, but, but the softer rod allows that fish. It's kind of similar to the similar concept on the buzz bait. It's a moving bait in motion. So if you have a stiffer rod, there's, and here's the thing I just got to tell people all this that we're talking about is all percentage based, right? So I'm not saying you're not going to go out there and smoke them on. You can go out there and put an eight foot broomstick in your hand and you might go out there and catch 10 for 10 one day on a chatterbait. I promise you, you're not going to go a hundred for a hundred, but you know, there's some days where they're, they're just eating it so good. It, you could have the worst rod in the world and you're still going to land them. So again, this isn't all or none. We're talking about trying to up your percentages from, you know, 82 to 93 and from 75 to 90, whatever it is. I'm just trying to like, so people understand that. Cause I always want to be clear. Some people are like, well, I do this. And I, I, I went out the other day and I was 15 for 15. 15 for 15 is not accurate data. We got a hundred fish minimums here, guys. Like let's, let's think that way. Right. right. For, for real data for yourself. Again, I'm not trying to, I'm trying to tell this to help people so that they can start maybe thinking a different way to up their game. So I use a, if I'm, and I have both in my boat at the same time, all the time, if I'm fishing and I'm throwing my chatterbait and I'm casting and reeling it in and I'm fishing docks or rocks, I did a lot of rock fishing with the chatterbait this year. I've got my glass rod. You're going to miss way less fish. The softer the rod, the less you're going to miss. The problem is if you go too soft, you're not going to get the hook in them. But you, but I think so many people, they err the wrong way. They err that I, I need to get the hook in them and they don't realize that hooks go in fish really easy these days with how sharp they are. And especially if you're, if your bait is moving in motion, chatterbait, you're reeling it with a soft rod. You'll be surprised. You'll put that four rod, whatever hook is in a chatterbait. It'll go right through that fish. The only issue is if you're pumping it and you're like early in the year, if you're yo-yo in a chatterbait or you're pumping it, you do have to go to a carbon rod because now it's more like a jig. Right now they're eating it on the dead, the dead, they're slack in your line. Mm-hmm. It's not moving. So now I need it. I still want parabolic, but I want a little bit more stiff of a rod. So I go to the carbon. It's still going to be a, a, a softer, more parabolic rod, but it's not going to be glass. 
And, and so I literally, I learned that this year. I went to Dale Hollow and roped him. I call it the Hollow Slide now on day two. They want to, it was a Toyota event. And I did not do good day two. I murdered him and I could only catch him pumping the chatterbait and I had to use the carbon rod. If I used the glass rod, I would have probably lost three, four, five fish. I was 100% on, because I, I was pumping it. Hit it bottom, pull it up, let it fall. They eat it on the fall. You don't even feel it. You lift up, she's on. So I need a little stiffer rod because they're eating on a desk. So the answer to the rod question is in a, in a perfect world and what I've learned and my ratios are as high as I think anybody that I've ever heard is there's two answers and that's depending on how you're fishing it line pretty much I'm a 20 pound fluoro guy um, almost exclusively there is times that I use 16 especially if I want to get a little deeper you know a little quicker but I'm pretty much a 20 fluoro guy uh, six to one gear ratio very rarely do I use the faster. I know lots of guys love the seven and the eight. Uh, for me, I just feel like I'm going to be honest, dude. I feel like I catch more fish by using a six, three to one or six, two to one or whatever, you know, six to one basically. Um, and, and I, I don't know, maybe it's cause I just naturally move my hands fast. And so it slows me down a little bit. Um, I feel like I can always speed it up if I need to, but I, it keeps it a little bit slower. I actually crank for 15 years and I still do this day unless it's, Unless I'm cranking later in the year, I crank on a four nine to one. So I'm a more of a I try to I gear more towards a slower ratio than most guys in most things. Unless it's like punching eight to one, frogging all that. I'm that that's because um, I, they're not eating the bait as I'm retrieving it. Right, those are baits that they're eating on a on a slack line or or you know punching. They're eating it as it's falling. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not retrieving it or a frog. You know you have slack in your line. You're twitching the bait. You're not burning it. So I'm a six to one. Most of the time, there's, I don't try to remember if I ever really use a seven to one on it. I basically am six to one, 20 pound fluoro, um, and then between the two rods. If you, well, that is if you, answer. if you, uh, if you retrieve half as fast as you talk, then, we're, then you're, <laughs> you're good. You don't need, you don't need, I've you don't, said, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been said, I actually, I'm getting better. I remember my whole life, my, everybody in my whole life is. You need to eat slower. You need to talk slower. You need to slow down. You need to slow down. My whole life, that's what I hear. All I think, I ever, I think you're doing brain. just fine, dude. I think you're doing just yeah, fine. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just saying, like, my that's what, as a child, that's what I always heard. Slow <laughs> down, slow down, slow down. Uh, I am a very high energy, high pace, you know, fast moving. I, I try to, I think maybe it helps me sometimes. I try to think fast, too. I'm always like, you got to think fast. You got to be on your feet. You got to be on your, especially bass fishing. You got to be paying attention. You got to be thinking. What are you seeing? What do you, you know, so, but yeah, in, in regards to the chatterbait, hopefully that helps. Uh, I know it's a long winded answer, but. Um, that's oh, what I found. And I, and I, I get so passionate about this stuff because I love, there's nothing cooler to me than figuring out something that raised your percentages. Like to me, I'm, I'm like that, that just tripped like, dude, I, so side story here. I went bluegill fishing with my kids yesterday. Been so long since I've really bluegill fishing, but I've been taking my kids and I was throwing a bobber with a little hook and dude, we're missing them. And just, we're catching like our ratios are horrible. And I'm like, dude, I'm over this. So I pulled out this other little style hook. I took the bobber off when a hundred percent after that, the problem is I started killing them all because they were all, they were all literally swallowing it. And I was like, look oh, at that ratios yeah. went through the roof. Now I got to back it off and figure out how not to have them swallow it. But, <laughs> uh, but again, it's always, it's the littlest things I was using, you know, uh, you know, it's just, so it's the, I have learned the littlest details. I could give you stories about, um, what's costing me thousands and thousands of dollars because of a bead or this or that, or I mean the littlest details. And then I'll say this, when you figure something out and your ratios are as high as you can be in whatever technique it is, 
never change. Do not change. And when I say don't change, I can tell you stories about changing from a hook that I thought was identical hook, but it was a different company. I thought it was identical. And two years, my ratio went down from like 95 to like 80. And I, and I couldn't figure it out until actually me and Justin Lucas were talking one day uh, and he was like, what have you done anything different? I'm like, no, man, I'm doing the same thing I've always done. And I don't know what's going on the last two years. I'm not losing a bunch. I'm still 80%, but, uh, but it's something's wrong. And I figured out it was the darn hook that looked identical to the other brand, but there you put them side by side. If you had to look really close, there was a slight angle change. I'm like, you think that's it? He goes, dude, I tried. I went back to my normal hook and went back back to 95. So the lesson is when you dial something in and you are overly satisfied with your landing ratio per that technique, and you don't know anybody that's higher, you don't change anything from brand. Do not change brand lines. You don't change brand hooks. You don't change the way you, you don't, you shut your mind off. Assuming Nobody is higher, and you don't think you can be higher on that landing percentage because the littlest things have cost me so much money. I've got multiple stories about that that it, that I've learned. Now, when I figure something out, do not change. I don't like. I don't care if you're using a number four draw shot hook and it's a gamagat. So you don't go to a number four or number six, number two, whatever. You don't change to a different company that's the same size. Absolutely not, unless you test it for lots of testing on non-tournaments. Because there's, I've learned some stuff that would blow blow my mind away. So, anyway, yeah. Well, you, you've you've blown our minds tonight. Mind blown. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh. I love talking bass dude. I love, I love, like I get so. I love, I love. Couldn't tell. I got a couple buddies. In, couldn't tell. Uh, I got a couple buddies back home <laughs> that I we love. Just I, I can do this for hours, and I can sit like I and I love you know Bobby Bobby Barrick. I know you guys have had him on. Actually, I think you guys had him on recently, right? Last week, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, last week he's he's a good friend of mine, and I, we love love talking. And um, I was fortunate to to know him for many years on the Delta, and now we, we're actually closer now than we've probably ever been. But uh, dude, I could sit in that guy's garage because we think very similar. Like we we don't over, you know, everything matters and and tides and all that stuff and all of it. And so we're so like I, I could just listen to that guy, and I love I could just dude I could sit in a garage for ten hours a day and talk about this stuff because it's it's uh it's, it's really cool and everything matters. And when you see those little things that we're talking about and they make a difference, you're like, Oh my gosh, like, Oh my gosh, you know, the, what, what would this do if I, you know, make this little tweak or whatever. So well, anyway. we, 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 I, I mean, I, I've got way more questions now, but we're, we're running up against it. Don't want to keep you up too late. Um, and but we can have him back on. Oh, though, I cannot wait to have him back I would on. Love that. I'll, I'll, I'll get with uh, Nick and make sure I don't, uh, I don't encroach on when you're going to be over on the cast and crank, but, um, no, yeah. dude, you, hey, you, whenever, man, I love doing podcasts. I honestly, when I get invited, I just did one for BTL the other day and, and, uh, I've been on cast and crank, but on whatever. I love, I love talking bass fishing. So like when I'm like, if it's on a podcast with you guys and I can help people and, uh, whatever, it's awesome. I got some of my buddies back home on the Delta that we talk for, I did. I mean, I, lo- I love it. It's not a burden to me. Like, it's, I'm, I actually like on BTL the other day, you know, they're they're They have like an hour show and that's, just, that's just the structure. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, like that's enough time. I need, I could talk for four hours. Let's go for four hours. <laughs> so like, yeah, don't, don't, uh, and I love, I love to get in the weeds as you can tell on many subjects, um, in bass fishing. So whenever, man, you guys want me back on, I, I'd be an honor. I'd love to, um, as I said, it's fun just, and I love, and I'm a processor. So I love to talk out loud because it helps me process things too. And I'm always, I'm talking to my wife half the time. She's like, all right, I love bass fishing, babe. I support you, but you know, <laughs> but, but, like, 
he told me sometimes like, Hey, go call Mike or go call, you know, like Mike Andrews, Aaron Coleman, Bobby Barrick, and my buddy, Brian Bogosian. They're four of the guys that I've, um, really talked to Bobby more recent years of more, more, way more detail oriented. But those other three guys I've talked to for many, many years about, we do, we process for hours and hours, sometimes a day, every week, you know, I'm talking and processing and, and thinking, and I love it, man. So this is, this is what I love to talk about. So I have no problem coming on. Well, this, this little, uh, this little podcast sure appreciates it having having Bobby and then you and back to back weeks. I mean, there I would say you guys got some listening to do. You probably probably should listen to it again. I mean, the thing is, doing this and I've talked to Ryan about this. I think Ryan will actually listen to the podcast. I can't stand the sound of my own voice, so it's hard for me to go back and listen. <laughs> but um, God, I'm I'm gonna do it for these ones because there is just so much great information, and we can't thank you enough. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you guys and. Said anytime, man, holler, and I'd love to jump on whenever, man. Dude, from the bottom of our hearts and all our listeners out there in California, just keep up the good work, man. You've made so many people so proud. You're giving a mm-hmm. lot of people hope, um, and we are all pulling for you, bud. Just, 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 just keep grinding, which I know you will. But I, I, we are, we are all very proud of you. Well, thank you. I just want to say one more time, like I hope. You know, a lot of this, the conversation I'm having, I feel like I'm with my real close buddies who, I, you know, when I'm talking with, you know, you guys or whoever. And I, I just I always want to make sure that people know that I get really, really passionate and get healed. And I don't ever want to come off as, you know, again, arrogant or cocky or anything, because I, I love to help people. And so I, sometimes I, I'm like, man, did I, did I come off that I don't want to be? And I'm, and I'm not trying to say anything as if, like, I'm. I'm this or that. I'm trying to share with other people things that I've learned. And again, I'm not saying I know everything by any means, but what I have learned, um, you know, I love talking about. And so I definitely don't ever want to come off. I hope I can come off, um, you know, again, you know, in a, in a tone that I'm not trying to, or a manner that I'm not trying to. So Ryan, we have had what, some what do you really, think? What do you like, think? We have Ryan? had some really arrogant people on the show and you are nowhere. <laughs> you are nowhere near arrogant, but I promise you that you're good, but man. it means that, but it means a lot that you say that, yep. you know, because that tells us kind of where your heart is. So that's important. Yeah, I guess because I know I get passionate. And so sometimes passion to some people can come off as like, you know, if I like I know some like I'll think back and I'm like, dude, did I did I did I sound cocky when I said this or that? And I'm like, man, I, don't, I hope I didn't come off. I'm trying to open people's minds. I'm not trying to sit there and talk about me as much as I'm trying to get people to think and rethink like, hey, is there a way I can be better at this? Am I thinking the right way in this regard? And so. Um, anyway, that's, that's my heart. Like I said, my faith is number one. God is number one in my life. And I always want to come off as, you know, like I, I love people. I love to help people. Um, and so then, but I, I have, you know, passion sometimes if you're not careful can come off to some people different. So anyway, hopefully, hopefully it's all good. It absolutely is. And, and just you doing that shows you're that you're a humble person and, um, that you're, that you're, like you said, like Ryan said, your heart and your mind are in the right place. And we're oh, thank you, yeah. we, like like Ryan said, we are pulling for you. We can I cannot wait to watch uh, that championship and uh, and see a, a see a Dutra name up there towards the top. Hopefully, at the very top. I, dude, I I trust me. I am can't wait to get there, and I can't wait to see what happens. And I'm mega excited for that, and then for next year, and and uh, hopefully we keep the train rolling. The West Coast love means so much to me. I. Uh, I get calls, text messages and stuff all the time from the West. And I always say, man, like the West is that I, re- you know, I, I always say rep in the West. Like I, I want to be, um, you know, I might live in Alabama, but that's not where I'm from. That's not where I wanted to bastard. So hopefully I can give hope to guys out West, uh, especially, I mean, all over the country, but to my West coast, because you know, the West is treated like 
kind of like the redheaded stepchild, right? Nobody thinks about the West. Nobody talks right. about the West. The West <laughs> disregarded. It just is. It, it is. is. And it and 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 yet some of the greatest in the entire world, Aaron Martin's, uh, uh, um, Brent Ayler, Cody Meyer, you know, ish. I mean, you can go down the list here. I mean, so many Mark Daniels, Justin Lucas, right? I mean, so many guys come out of the West, and and it's uh, there's there's something special about coming out of the West. Um, and and we're uh, versatile. You know, we are versatile. That is one of the biggest keys and uh, to the West. So, yeah. So, anyway, I love the West, man. love the support. Thank you guys. Thanks for the support. And uh, it means so much to me because I will say this, and I say it over and over, but I, some people may not really understand when you're, again, when I'm out there and any guys uh, of, uh, you know, that are fishing at this level, it is a – not depressing, but it is a lonely sport when you have a bad day. And so when you get or, – or a good day or whatever, it's, it's still all lonely. And so – when you get those text messages and those comments and I can't, I try to comment as much as I can back on Instagram, Facebook and stuff. Obviously I can't always, especially if I get flooded with comments, I try, I read every one of them and they truly are fuel to, to, you know, to like encourage or to, to like pump you up and, to, and they mean so much. And I hope people, you know, like I said, I hope people realize that, that I read them all. It means so much to me. That's awesome, man. Ryan, Ryan Cook, Ryan Cook, you got anything left for for our buddy Phil? Just, just one more thank you, and man, we cannot wait to have you back on. I, I, I'm not just saying this. This is, this is one. Oh, dude, I, I mean, this is an amazing podcast. I don't want to classify it, but this is. I am really excited for this one. If we're going to be humble, not our specific podcast, but just the podcast with you, Phil. Because our podcast is is not is not is super amazing, but this podcast is amazing right. with you. That's what I meant. <laughs> that's what that's what he meant. Th- th- that's what I, we're clarifying. Up. We're being humble right here, Ryan. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. And uh, like I said love to do it again. And we can talk. We can go in depth on any single subject, or we can just go all over the place. Whatever I like it all. Um, love to go in depth on certain things. So it's always it's always fun. Well, good luck with the bluegill catch rate. Um, I'm sure you'll. I'm sure you're going to nail that one down too. Yeah, thank you, man. Well, you guys take care. Enjoy your night, and uh, we'll 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 talk again. Hopefully, next time we talk, I'll hopefully I'll have a big fat trophy next to me and two hundred thousand dollars richer. I would so, love to see it. it. It would not surprise me. Well, thank you, thank you, guys. Enjoy the rest of your night, and like I said, I'll always hear from you guys. All, All right, brother, see you, thank bud. You. No, over on ticket. Wow. Everybody needs to go back and start that over and listen to it one more time. He is a he is an SSI. Yeah, I never talked oh. I had really never really talked to Phil. Um but wow. I mean I'm I'm just like trying to download my, my brain is going a mile a minute. That man right there, like passion is I don't know if passion's the right word. I mean it's I think it's it, well it's a, definitely an obsession. He is dude, he's on it. I love he the is, numbers. He is in every in every aspect of the game. He is the real deal. I I hope that uh, you know if we do have him on in the future, we definitely got to ask him about how he kept uh, track of tides and things like that. Because I'm sure he was like one of those dudes, like like Hugh, that was that's like he probably had some sort of a spreadsheet. I would imagine. Oh, oh well, he's in finance. So he lives. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. he had a spreadsheet on everything. I need to do that. 
I just love when he said the little details make all the difference. I'm not trying to at all pat myself on the back, but I've said that since day one. And it's just to hear other people say it, it makes me feel better because it's like, okay, I'm not crazy. You know, like it is those little tiny details, you know, and I have talked. So I I don't know him personally. I, I ran into him in New York. I'm like, Hey, it's Ryan cook. I do the best report, you know? And he's like, yeah, yeah, dude, like great job. Like I listened to it. It's awesome. What you guys do out there. And you know, it, it just, it's, oh man, I, I kind of lost my train of thought right there. Wait, I was talking a little you details. Just, oh, you just, yeah. The, the, I've, I've, I've talked to people that have fished with him. Right. And he's the guy, you know, just, just hundred percent hardcore. You know, he checks everything, every little detail when he gets to his spot, you know, the big motor shutting off, he's not even off pad yet. And he's running to the, not like walking quickly. He runs to the front of the boat to drop the trolling motor. Like he is, he is ferocious out there and that intensity is just it, it comes through when he talks about bass fishing mm-hmm. absolutely and and another thing and, and i i love the way that like he'll he'll just go out there and he'll talk about a bunch of stuff and he'll be like but i'm he's a rookie you know like he knows tons of stuff but he's i love the the fact that he's willing to say this is just me like i'm not telling you if you don't do this, you're an idiot. This is just what I've seen, and I'm trying to help you, right? Right. And so when I when I pipe up and talk about my my uh, very limited uh, fishing experience, I only do that, and I want everybody to know this, and I think I've said it a million times before, but there's new listeners. The reason I do that is because I'm trying to be an advocate for the people that are listening that may not have as much experience as Ryan or Phil or a lot of the other guys we have. I think they're well. It still comes across very arrogant, but it's fine. Well, fuck, see, this is <laughs> this is where we're at. But so I mean, if that, you're a new that, listener, we're obviously joking. Uh, so I've, I when I we first started all the way to the end now, it, well not the end. It, it God, uh, I'm gonna get in a car accident tomorrow. But um, it, it, at the hunt at a hundred episodes now, um, I've always tried to do that, and I hope no one's taken that as as oh he thinks he knows because I certainly don't because I've listened through the last two almost two years. I've changed so much of what I do from what I ask on this here show. Right, it's cool. I mean, it's 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 great for me. I don't know. I hope you guys enjoy it as well because I'm getting tons of great information. Still not very good, but is what it is. Don't have the it factor, Ryan. Joel, two things. Don't one, Diana factor, just said to tell you hi. Diana. Diana. The number one. The number. Yes, yeah, she is the number one. I'm I'm a I'm a real soft number two. Um, the other thing, but I just got to say, hundred episodes in. Thank you for creating this. Thank you for having, thank you for asking me to, to run it with you, to be your co-host. I, Dude, man, I, I just, I, I can't thank you enough. <laughs> what you have built is absolutely amazing. And, and, Dude, I, I just I, I can't wait for the next 100 episodes. That's all I have to say. Well, I hope we make it that far. And uh, thank you for for saying yes and and for putting up with me. It's uh, this thing is not is not the most well oiled machine in the world. We do our best, and uh, everyone seems to enjoy it. But um, you know, we a couple of guys that full time jobs and and significant others and kids and whatnot, and so. We do our best and just thank you all so much for the support, for listening, for anything. If you can, share it out there. Um, 
let people know about it if they, you got friends that are that fish and these are things we've all asked before but um if you can if you can leave a five-star review we're trying to get to 100 so if you go on itunes and you look we're at like i think 79 maybe 80 something like that we'd really like to get to 100 at least so we have 100 comments for 100 episodes so if you guys yeah. can do that great uh if you want to join the patreon we got great giveaways every month we've got uh 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 patreon only podcasts we're going to be doing uh every month with just the patreon people so just the people the guests are going to be patreons and and the listeners are going to be patreons so it's kind of like a insider deal which is kind of cool pretty awesome that's it that i think that's i think that's a wrap that's uh we're at we're at 207 it's a good one oh that that was a good one well i gotta go rig stuff for tomorrow and uh it's going to be a late night, and I'm going halibut fishing Thursday, leaving at 1 a.m. So yeah, buddy. Rough, rough, fun couple of days. <laughs> well, you're going to have a blast, uh, and that's the reason we did it here Tuesday. We're, first of all, we need to get Phil on before he leaves for the tournament, and Ryan's got a big halibut trip. So I'm going to spend the rest of the week, uh, I think, still recovering, uh, getting back to normal. And, um, yeah. Hit me up, guys. I always love hearing everybody. Uh, Ryan loves hearing from you. Um, let us know what you think. Go book a guide trip with that guy. We love you. See ya. Go to 10! I was at about six there. You don't want to see me go to 10.